0: Baseball isn't just numbers, numbers, numbers. This game is not being played on computers. You don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. You don't put a team together with a computer.
1: Pew. We're talking weighted runs created plus, expected wOBA, sweet spot rate, defensive runs above average, average exit velocity, barrel rate, xFIP, BABIP, SIERA. We are above with radio. radio and welcome to above replacement radio where we're talking baseball kind of whenever i'm your host Chris christian over there on the other side of the screen is daniel kern how you doing daniel chris i'm doing
0: very well today it is the first show of the new year 2024 it is the first show that i'm doing for my new apartment uh and we are debuting some new segments today on the show
1: yeah it's it's uh we you know exciting new stuff with uh with above replacement radio for you know Leading up to the season, obviously, every year we do we do divisional previews and, you know, players to watch from each team that will start probably around February. But for the first time, we are doing positional rankings each position uh, and then probably along the way uh, after our positional rankings we will sprinkle in maybe, uh, you know, 20 players uh, per episode for a top 100 list uh, of all players. And uh, but yeah, for the first time we're doing positional rankings, which is very exciting. It's you know what the what MLB Network does every year, and uh, we're really excited to kind of add our analysis to it. Um, and then, secondly, yeah, to close out the show, we will have the uh, the Carlos Beltron bubble case breakdown. It's it we're doing bubble case breakdowns again. What is it? Is it December 2020?
0: Four years later. Is, is it December twenty? Yeah.
1: Do what, I have to wear my mask
0: for this? What are we in the middle of a hall of fame cycle where we know from day one that no one's getting in or something like that?
1: Did the COVID vaccine just come out and <laughs> we had no idea what it was? Um, did, did people just storm the Capitol? Nope. That was three
0: years ago today on the day we're recording this.
1: Yeah. Shout out. Yeah. Nonetheless, <clears throat> we're bringing back the bubble case breakdowns. Uh, We did 10 <laughs> to of to them. To tie it
0: all back to the, to the main uh, topic at hand.
1: Yeah. We, um, we uh we did ten of them back in the off season of twenty twenty to twenty twenty one, um I believe I think like four or five of those um are off the ballot now, um, mm-hmm. but uh nonetheless, yeah now we have uh Carlos Bell trying to talk about we'll have uh Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley Chase Utley to talk about yeah
0: I mean him. Joe Mauer and Adrian Beltray are both first years on the ballot this year I don't think either of them are bubble cases. I think they're just both getting in, uh. And also, I don't think James Shields is a bubble case either.
1: Oh, complete game, James. We're yeah. not. Uh, we're not considering him. No, I've, <laughs> I did not realize he was on the ballot this year. Um, but yeah,
0: it's unironically.
1: I think we have like the best first year class that we've seen in a while. Like, not even with the,
0: you know, with Beltre and and Maurer and David Wright and Chase Utley, but like every person, like, I wouldn't. You know, like. There there's one guy that could give them a vote and I'd be like, whatever. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. I I definitely get that.
0: Like um, I'll just I'll just read them off real, real quick. Um you have Jose Batista, you know. I mean, I think this is easy for us because like we're getting old enough now where like guys are appearing on the Hall of Fame ballot where like we remember their prime. Like we don't just remember watching them play, we remember like when they were at their peak. Like, you know, peak Jose Batista was two thousand fifteen we both remember that very well. Uh Bartolo Colon is on the ballot this year. He's already got a vote, you know. I mean, people will remember him for being like the the funny bad home run guy. Uh but he actually was like good in another life too. Um true. Adrian Gonzalez um had some, you know, really good years with the Padres, some good years with the Dodgers as well. Matt Holliday, unfortunately a guy that's probably going to be one and done that I wish would get a little bit more consideration cuz He's a guy with a, a near 900 career OPS. Victor Martinez, the best hitter in the league in 2014. Uh, yeah. Brandon Phillips, uh, you know, one of the best defenders of his generation, maybe the best defender at his position in his generation. Uh, you know, Jose Reyes, a guy that was, you know, kind of similar, stole a lot of bases, hit a lot of uh, extra base hits there in City Field. Uh, James Shields, you know, big game James, kind of the uh, the face of a franchise there with Tampa. Even with the Royals as well. And then uh, you know, send that big contract with the Padres and then David Wright, um, who would have been a Hall of Famer if he had stayed healthy, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's quite it's it's a it's a solid list. Um yeah, yeah Jose Batista, I remembered always doing great at Fenway. Uh nine uh five seventy-five career slugging at Fenway Park, Jose Batista yeah. had, um, which is pretty crazy. That is much higher than his. 475 career slugging um granted that takes away pretty much all of his Pirates days. um so he because he wasn't playing at Fenway during you know his Pirates days. but yeah um yeah I, yeah I remember when he knocked out 54 home runs and it was like who is this guy like what happened um mm-hmm. but uh but yeah yeah so we will be getting into Carlos Beltran but before all of that uh, we have one bit of news to get into. There was one, um, one big trade, one little trade, and the big trade is more just on namesake and not necessarily like, oh, you know, these guys are like going to be all-stars this year. Um, which could happen, but probably unlikely, but the Giants and Mariners made a trade. The Giants receive Robbie Ray and they trade Mitch Haniger and Anthony Descalfani, um, kind of an interesting thing they got going on what did you think about this trade
0: uh, i mean first of all i think it's super cool to see that mitch Haniger is going back to the mariners you know it kind of just feels right it feels weird that he was ever not a mariner even though he was actually drafted not by the mariners right he was traded over uh from the diamondbacks in a pretty famous thanksgiving eve trade but um you know mitch hanniger is coming back which is which feels very good to hear um I like this for both teams you know robbie ray is a guy that i think the mariners don't really need anymore i think they kind of discovered that in 2023 you know they had five maybe even six very suitable starters uh not named robbie ray when he was down for the entire year um and i don't and i believe that the the giants are paying uh not much of his salary in 2024 but um and the Mariners are eating a lot of that contract in 2024, but this is going to save them some money in future years uh, for a guy that ultimately they really don't need right now. Um, and, you know, they're getting Mitch Haniger back. They're getting Anthony Descalfani, who is a, you know, a quality pitcher, you know, not necessarily uh, at his peak where he was like two years ago, but, you know, a name that's good for depth in that rotation. And then in terms of the Giants, um, you know, Hanegar didn't stay healthy last year, Descalfani, um, another guy that they probably don't really need this year might be a little past over the hill for him. But uh, I love the addition of Robbie Ray because, you know, that's a Cy Young winner in the last few years. And, you know, maybe not the quality of Cy Young winner of, of other names in, in recent years, but clearly a very good pitcher, a guy that got a nine-figure contract, and a guy that I think will do very well in the Giants pitching department because they are known to fix guys, improve guys, do a lot of their potential and get that out of them. So I'm very excited to see how he fits into that rotation.
1: Uh, yeah, it 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 should be very interesting. I, um, I enjoy this deal from a Giants perspective. Uh, you know, I think not that I'm saying it's uneven, but just from a Giants perspective, uh, I think yeah. Our last episode when we were talking about the Jung Hoo Lee signing, it was, you know, only Lee and Webb were committed, uh were you know financial commitments beyond 2025 and now Robbie Ray has joined that list so you know I'm not saying like oh the Giants should be spending money but you know Robbie Ray is still a a quality pitcher to have for you know now the next three years uh, adds to the rotation even though you know not the not the greatest uh 2022 which was you know the follow-up to his Cy Young campaign but nonetheless he had a his strikeout minus walk rate was over 19%, uh, which is really, really good. Um, that's, you know, at least five percentage points above average. Um, so that's someone nice to have someone that, you know, you're going to have for, um, you know, three years if, if you don't trade him. Whereas, uh, I think Haniger, what Haniger was, uh, he only had two years left and, uh, Desclafani I think was in his final year of his contract, I believe. Um, and yeah, I think you you also make a good point where the Mariners don't necessarily need him anymore, uh, because thinking about when Robbie Robbie Ray was signed by the Mariners, uh, let's think about like he was signed to be their ace, and there was a good reason for that. Like Logan Gilbert had not arrived yet, uh, George Kirby was only a was only That's a prospect fact. at the time; he had not made a major league start, and Luis Castillo had not been traded for yet. So Robbie or Ray extended was extended yet, yeah, or extended yet. Uh, and Robbie Ray was uh, was definitely the top of that that class at the time. Now you know a few years later, the Mariners have one of the deepest rotations in the game. So you know you and they they're missing some bats. So why not go get Mitch Haniger, who has proven to be you know a solid piece of the lineup uh, in in recent past.
0: Yeah, going back to the Giants, you know Robbie Ray did have Tommy John surgery in May of last year, which means that. He probably won't be joining the rotation until the summertime. But I don't know if it's know, Tommy John. It was Tommy John. I
1: thought it was a uh, a flexor tendon surgery.
0: Uh, well, no, I know it was. I mean, first of all, Fangraphs has it listed as Tommy John.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: but I do also remember it being that. But anyway, uh, the Giants' rotation right now has is relying on a lot of uh, steps forward from guys. You know, right now, Kyle Harrison, Keaton Wynn, and Tristan. Be- Beck are all in the fan graph's projected started rotation starting rotation on opening day uh behind both Logan Webb and Ross stripling and you know Kyle Harrison Keaton win Tristan Beck certainly all guys with potential but guys with less than a year of service time guys that were rookies last year that didn't pitch any more than uh, I mean what 42 or 85 innings by by Beck but um you know guys that are still very much adjusting to the major leagues and you know I think the Giants do have a lot of emphasis on that and their starting rotation from, uh, you know, for a team that's looking to compete next year. So, you know, Robbie Ray is an experienced name that joins this lineup. A lot of his issues in the last few years have been a high home run rate. And I think that ballpark will play very nicely to that, especially, you know, balls given up in that left, that right center field gap to center field, even left center is pretty deep out there in San Francisco. So, uh, you know, the strikeout to walk numbers have always, uh, or the strikeout numbers, I should say, have always been there. The walk numbers, uh, got a lot better in the last few years. The home runs uh, are up though, but I think San Francisco could do a decent job at neutralizing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, uh, oh, wait. can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, my computer froze for a little bit. Um, ah, okay. Weird. Uh, yeah, Robbie Ray did get Tommy John surgery. I think I was confused because it was not a UCL injury. It was a flexor mm-hmm. tendon surgery, but both lead to Tommy John. So I think that's why I was confused there but yeah um with Robbie Ray uh one of the things I did look at was you know his obviously his biggest problem in 2022 was home runs allowed he allowed 35 home runs uh in his last full season and you know looking at the stat cast data um however reliable it may be uh only 30 like if if he put if he made all his starts in San Francisco uh, that number would be down to 31. So that's something to be optimistic about. It it does tell you that the power that he gave up wouldn't have translated all the way in, uh, San Francisco. So, you know, puts him in a, in a better spot, you know, having a fly ball pitcher in, you know, pitching in San Francisco is not the worst thing in the world. So, um, you know, he'll be in good hands there. And, you know, if, as long as his arm, uh, maintains its strength uh heading into you know coming off Tommy john surgery the strikeout and walk numbers should probably stay similar and and you know put the put himself in a good spot
0: yeah i think so as well yeah I, I i do um and then yeah going back to the mariners i guess for a second here um the lineup has looked a lot more interesting uh well they made another trade that we'll get into later but mitch hanniger uh you know does fill a, a need for them which is just a guy that has a bat that can use it. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it makes the lineup look certainly a little bit more complete. You definitely do still wonder what it would look like with a guy like Eugenio Suarez in there. Um, but nonetheless, you know, Mitch Haniger is certainly an upgrade over, uh, over the, the previous options there. And, you know, he's also just a very beloved figure uh, in Seattle. You know, he feels like he has the feel of a guy that was there his whole career. Um, that's not really the case, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and then Descalfani, like I mentioned, he adds a lot of depth because you already have, you know, Luis Castillo. You already have Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu. Uh, you don't necessarily need a lot out of Descalfani, other than to just you know be an arm that can eat up some innings when needed.
1: Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. And and um, with Descalfani, like say, you know, the Mariners feel like they have enough starters, like. I, I'm sure that he's at a point in his career where he's kind of fine going into the bullpen and getting innings there. And maybe he's, maybe he's the new, you know, bullpen prodigy with the, uh, with yeah. the Mariners. Cause they seem to do that quite a bit. Um, and yeah, with, uh, with Haniger, I think, I think you may do make a good point in like him being sort of, it, it feels like he's been there longer than he has. Mm. And I think part part of that has to do with, like, there's been so much movement with that Mariners organization. And he stayed there, like, uh, remember like let's remember after 2018, when they traded off, you know, Edwin Diaz, Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz was was let go in free agency. Um, I think there's a... Gene Segura was traded. Like, there was kind of a clear, like, rebuilding phase that the Mariners were about to enter into. And Mitch Haniger has been there for the entire, like rebuild and now to where they're you know expected to be a playoff team uh you know and when they were a playoff team in 2022 he was there for that um so like yeah i think there's there's definitely a a factor there and i think the mariners fan base is is pretty happy to have him back for kind of those reasons
0: yeah the vibes have been down in seattle for the last uh, couple of months now right the team missed the playoffs in a year where they were supposed to be a championship contender in a year coming off of a playoff berth um And, you know, Jerry DePoto came out after the season, and he made some quotes that really did not resonate well with the fans about, uh, you know, winning 54% of the games over a 10-year stretch and kind of playing the long game out of it. And, you know, on top of that, they trade Eugenio Suarez. Uh, They make some deals that are essentially just salary dumps. They trade Jared Kelnick, uh, you know, a guy that was supposed to be, you know, the future face of the franchise. They give up on him pretty quickly. And... Yeah, I mean, times have been tough to be a Seattle Mariners fan over the last few months, but, uh, you know, Mitch Handiger, I think he's going to be a guy that kind of brings those vibes back. You know, he, I remember he wrote an article in the Players' Tribune after 2021 when they got eliminated on game 162, uh, you know, kind of rallying the fans, you know, that season and insisting, I mean, you know, the quote he had was, uh, we're ending this effing drought and they did it the next season. Uh, Unfortunately, he wasn't a big part of it because he was hurt, but. Uh, yeah I mean wh- no matter how much he's going to play or not next year you know it's it, him being there is going to bring the vibes up no doubt but both in the clubhouse with the fan base with the organization he's a guy that's going to bring the vibes up and also is a bat that they're going to be expecting to contribute
1: yeah well uh, absolutely for sure um and uh <clears throat> yeah when when those trade when those uh, trades were happening earlier in the off season, and um, you know the Mariners weren't supplementing them. Like now there, <clears throat> now there is supplementation in that lineup, and there's you know some holes have appeared to have been filled. Um, they also signed Mitch Garver, which we never got into, but like mm-hmm. that's a quality bat to bring to the lineup, um, even though that position is in a fine state. I think uh, you know I guess he'll fill in when Raleigh's not playing, and and be a DH otherwise. But nonetheless, uh, they they have provided some supplementation. I still think it's questionable that you know they they decided to replace Kelnick with with Haniger or uh, Rayleigh. I think Kelnick, you know, with with his youth and what he showed last year, like he showed very good potential. And I still think that trade is is still very weird. And I don't know if they, uh, you know, what what they got from the Braves was kind of questionable. But nonetheless, they have provided some they've answered some questions as to what they're gonna put in the lineup uh, for this next year.
0: Yeah, I mean if you look at the if you look at the roster on fan graphs right now, you know, you still see holes. I mean, they have uh they have Luis Arias uh, uh, you know projected to start at third. And I'd rather have Eugenio Suarez, even if he's you know seven million dollars more expensive. Uh they have Josh Rojas at second. Uh, which I guess I don't really know who else they'd have started second because it's been second base has been a hole for them for like the entire length of this podcast, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, the lineup would look a lot more complete uh, if they had, you know, reserved a couple of moves and maybe they don't bring back Haniger if they have Kelnick. But even still, I think I'd rather have Kelnick from an actual baseball standpoint. But, uh, you know, the vibes.
1: Yes, the uh, the energy will be will be good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hanager is on a three year deal. So he's got two more years, um, left in Seattle, but, but yeah, it should be interesting. Like it's a weird, it's definitely an, an interesting trade where like you weren't expecting it, but it makes a little bit of sense. But if they just chose not to do it, that would also make sense. Um, but yeah, the giants get a, you know, an another pitcher Mariners get more, you know, get, you know, some outfield help, you know, outfield they're they're looking for outfield bats, you know, as they traded uh Kelnick and they and they uh are losing to Oscar Hernandez in free agency. At least we're assuming that. Um mm-hmm. so they also traded for Luke Rayleigh. They have traded for Luke Rayleigh, who had a very good season last year offensively. Um, but the sustainability of that. Is sort of in question a, a little bit
0: questionable I think he could still be um a, you know an upgrade over what they would have had before or what they had out there last year Um, you know I think all they need from him is to be like a 110 115 OPS plus type guy you know I don't think they need him to be the 130 guy that he was last year because I don't think he's going to be that I think that's a fair thing to say
1: yeah and and albeit like his expected numbers were um his expected slugging and expected woba were above average and he seemed to be a neutral defender and i think a solid base runner as well had 14 stolen bases so it's not like you know it's like oh here's this big bat that can't play defense and can't run the bases like it's not that situation so he does seem to be somewhat of a complete player um to to be involved in that in that mariners lineup whereas like yeah a guy like Haniger. Hanegar's kind of a negative d- defensive uh, negative defensive guy. So with, you know, Rayleigh and Rodriguez in there, it's going to make for still probably a pretty positive outfield defense.
0: Yeah, the Mariners had uh, the second highest strikeout rate in Major League Baseball last year, 29, 25.9%. And uh, Rayleigh is going to fit right into that, given his strikeout rate last year. I'll just say that much.
1: Yeah, it is over... 30 percent, and he was in the first percentile in whiff rate um mm-hmm. meaning no meaning he was uh yeah in the top one percent of guys swinging and missing um in in the bad way like he swung and missed the most um mm-hmm. but he uh he puts the ball in the air a lot has a had a 12.9 percent barrel rate last year uh, exit average exit velocity over 90 miles per hour which is very good which put him in the uh Seventy seventh percentile in all of baseball, um. But yeah, he's 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 kind of the definition of hit or miss, uh. If you mm. if you must say, so, um. Anything more on the Mariners' moves? uh no. All right, it's, I will. You know,
0: I mean, I I overall like them. You know, in the grand scheme of things, um, I think that I think it's inter- I think the Rayleigh trade was interesting from the Rays' perspective. You know, they're they're trading a guy that had, you know, I think I think the Rays are. Our, kind of selling high on luke Rayleigh, you know i think they're recognizing that they don't think his value will be that high again um but i don't know if jose caballero is going to be the best return on investments i could be wrong because it's the rays and you never really know with them but um you know they definitely need a middle infielder right now with you know some other things that are going on within their organization
1: that is true there is a there is a good point to be made there um Mm -hmm. but uh and yeah, they didn't need outfield as much. They have, you know, I think, I guess they're pretty confident in what they have with a Reina, Josh Lowe, and Jose Siri. Like Josh Lowe showed some great potential last year at certain points, had like an OPS over 900. Reina is, he's not going to, you know, um, he's he's not going to be necessarily an MVP candidate, but he's been pretty consistent over the past three years. And then with uh with Jose Siri, um, he... If I'm not mistaken, he provides very good defense, right? Or is yes. that a fever dream? Yes. yes. So does not
0: walk. But doesn't he walk, does. He does provide very good defense.
1: Doesn't make a whole lot of contact, but he does provide very good defense and base running. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that aspect. So yeah, all in all, the Mariners get two outfielders after, you know, losing Kelnick and probably Hernandez to free agency. Uh they lose they lose a pitcher, they add a pitcher, and the Giants get you know uh, a little bit more of a reliable pitcher here. Um, you know, in that rotation they had Logan Webb um, and you know Ross
0: Stripling, have...
1: yeah, Ross Cobb, yeah. Yeah, you know, Webb and Webb and Cobb were really the only guys where you could where you felt sort of confident in. Um, now Robbie Ray sort of adds that you know adds a veteran element as well. So yeah, should be should be interesting to see what goes on there. Uh, now we will get into the part uh, where we've prepared a little bit more with uh, positional rankings. Um, we'll start out with left field. Left field was, was an extremely confusing experience, yes. um, you know, and uh, by the way, and we'll probably preface this before each time we, we go into these p- positional ranks, but we're going off of the fan graphs roster resource Um, and for free agents, we're just kind of ballparking and going based off of what they played most last year. So Cody Ballinger, he is going to be in the center field category. Um, if he is in fact in our list, you know, watch to watch to find out, but nonetheless, like, so guys who are going to be mostly DHs, we're not really going to have a position for them, unfortunately. So Jordan Alvarez will not be in our left field list, even though he'd obviously be a top three guy if he was included. Um, but he is not going to be included we did make one exception though because we because I personally just found out he was a projected DH but we're kind of unsure if he is actually going to be a, a, a an actual DH but Christian yelich uh is you know Fangraphs is projected uh designated hitter but I think he will be playing some outfield um consistently and primarily for,
0: left yeah
1: and primarily left field for the Brewers so you know I, I think that's that's a that's an ARR amendment that we made um but uh yeah, happy happy to be getting into this um but yeah, I think Daniel and I were talking before the the show started. three through ten are pretty much interchangeable um we don't we we're not really confident in in like our number four guy being over the number eight guy. It's just like yeah. it's very, very weird but um but yeah uh any any further comment before we get into this?
0: Now let's do it. So the top 10 left fielders going into 20 I think it's important this is our our list of going into 2024. It's not based on what they did in 2023.
1: Correct. And we are we're sort of projecting here. Yeah. Um that's something that I that's something that I sort of like figured out with the uh foolish uh with the foolish 50. Shout out to foolish Bailey who does his he he's not doing doing it based off of like oh, you know at the at this current point, they're this. It's like no, this is how it's going to go down in twenty twenty four. So that's kind of what our our idea of it going into it is is we're sort of projecting what they're going to do. Yeah, you want to start? Um, sure. Uh, so my number ten left fielder. Uh, let me scroll to my preparation here. My number ten left fielder is uh, a guy we previously mentioned, Randy Rosarena. Um, some people might point this as him, as me, like underrating him. He is a big name, uh, made a name for himself back in the 2020 playoffs, uh, obviously one rookie of the year, only, uh, only back in, in 2022 or no 2021, excuse me. Um, yeah, that, that was the year he did it, but, uh, I think, you know, just, just looking at him and what he's been doing. It's he's a solid player, but but he hasn't really stretched out to anything further. I I would say, um. So just diving into what he did in 2023, he hit 254 with a 789 OPS. He had a 120 OPS plus, negative six outs above average, negative three arm value, uh, in the field as well. Four defensive runs saved, 22 stolen bases, 1.8 BSR, and uh, he's heading into his age 29 season. And uh, what I'll say about Randy Rosarena is, um, you know, let's he, he's coming off three consecutive 2020 seasons, but I don't want him to be confused for a a good base runner because his base running actually is has been negative because of how often he gets caught on caught on the bases. Um, he is generally negative or or generally neutral or negative on the bases, so let's not consider him necessarily good base runner uh defensive metrics has just sort of been inconsistent on him we don't really know where he's at as a defender um but just optimistically looking at him his walk rate jumped 5.1 percentage points from 2022 to 2023 his average exit velocity jumped 1.8 miles per hour barrel rate jumped 4.4 percentage points ground ball rate dropped uh 6.9 percentage points fly ball rate jumped 5.6 percentage points and his expected slugging uh jumped 53 points. So there is some optimism around Randy Rosarena's offense, but that is why I have him um number 10.
0: Yeah. So my number 10 uh is a guy that we kind of just got our first glimpses of last season, uh you, you know, very late in the season. It's Evan Carter from the Texas Rangers. He played uh in 23 games in the regular season before going on a big run in the postseason and He kind of dominated all the way through, a 180 or weighted runs created loss in those uh, 23 games to end the season, and then a 917 OPS in the playoffs. Uh, The reason I have him at 10, not higher on the list, is because, uh, for one, we haven't really seen a big sample size out of him, and two, his batted ball metrics kind of suggest that his success uh, is not sustainable when you extrapolate it over a longer season, which is pretty natural, because, you know when you hit a lot of line drives for two weeks, it's going to look like that's what he did for the whole season. And uh, he had a 33% line drive rate throughout the regular season and the postseason, a 15% fly ball rate. Uh, so certainly, you know, there are things to improve on in terms of uh, having more sustainability and success. And I mean, this is a guy that, you know, was still adjusting to major league pitching for the first time when he was facing guys in the, you know, NL, ALDS, the ALCS, the world series. Um, So, you know it definitely took a lot for him to even crack the top 10 with this few uh, appearances in major league baseball but you know he certainly made the most of his opportunities a 43% hard or sweet spot rate uh, a 46% hard hit rate and this is just in those 23 regular season games a 10.3% barrel rate um and also just you know a, a 35% line drive rate in the uh, regular season and then he kept that up in the postseason a 59% pull rate which is absolutely not sustainable but uh, you know, definitely what you want out of a of, out of a batted ball, um, you know, I've seen we've seen plenty of guys come up to the majors and do a lot worse than Evan Carter did, and uh, he he earned a spot in the top ten with just uh, a few plate appearances, but you know, I think we need to see it over a longer uh over a longer stretch for me to put him higher on the list.
1: Yeah, I <clears throat> I definitely understand that. Um, he yeah, I mean he's played between season or regular season that's what 40 games that he's played um mm, something i think like that yeah something around there um so yeah like it's you know it's it's definitely hard not to get hype on him uh he definitely i think comes in as the rookie of the year favorite in the american league um yeah definitely so uh so yeah now on to uh number nine for me i have Chaz mccormick who is coming off a Pretty fantastic year for himself. Um, definitely a, a breakout year. Uh he hit 273 with an 842 OPS, a 130 OPS plus. Uh, he had one out above average in left field, uh, three outs above average in center field, one defensive run saved in left field, and four defensive runs saved in center field. He also had 19 stolen bases and 1.7 BSR. Uh, he is heading into his age 29 season. Um, and what I have to say about McCormick is that 130 OPS plus definitely sticks out. Um, he had a drop in both whiff rate and or a drop in whiff rate and an increase in sweet spot percentage, which were both very very good signs last year. I will say I think his numbers are a little bit skewed by um, the the platoon duties that he had. I think he had a pretty disproportionate amount of plate appearances against lefties as opposed to righties, and he had a 1008 OPS against lefties but a 769 OPS against varieties. So I think his um I think he will have more playing time in general this upcoming year. I think he'll probably get over 500 plate appearances for the Astros. So I think he will have to face varieties a little bit more and that might bring his numbers down. So I'm kind of relying on that to happen a little bit, but overall I'm very optimistic about what Chas McCormick can, can bring, which is why I have him as a as a number 9 guy.
0: Sure. So for my number 9 guy, I went with your number 10 guy, and I picked Randy Orozarena in that spot. So I think we, we pretty fairly uh, put Ro- Orozarena around the same umbrella here. Um, Yeah, and I mean, we haven't, I don't think we've seen uh, the offensive season that we've seen out of him since his rookie year in 2021. He hasn't broken an 815 OPS since. He hasn't broken a 450 slugging sense. He hasn't broken uh, many of the marks that we really saw in that first year. And on top of that, uh, his defense has really been uh, concerning, to, to say the least. He had negative 18 uh, defensive runs above average last year alone, which is one of the worst among, le- or excuse me, of, over the last two seasons combined, uh, which is one of the worst uh, among all left fielders. Um, You know, he did make some strides in his walk rate, like you mentioned, his ground ball rate, like you mentioned. But, uh, you know, for me, I think I need to see more out of his defensive component and definitely a little more out of his offense as well. You know, Randy is only going into his age 28 season this year, so... Uh, you know, there is certainly a lot of optimism that uh, things can change. He's also kind of the face of his franchise, which is, you know, I think kind of inflates. I don't want to say inflates, but it definitely pushes up his value because he's kind of the guy uh, for the Rays right now. And yeah, I mean, he's a very good hitter. He hits the ball very hard Um, and he hits it in the air a lot more as we saw this year, particularly fly balls. Um, so there's a lot of potential uh, for him to succeed, but, you know, I need to see, mostly I need to see more out of his defense because 10th, uh, negative six outs above average, negative three in arm value and overall negative eight in fielding run value. Uh, he's been statistically one of the worst defenders in the league right now. And I think that's keeping him from being maybe top five on this list. Uh, but you know, I have him at nine because of that primarily.
1: Uh, right. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think, uh, you know it's it's good that we're definitely going to have like overlap in these lists so we can talk about these guys multiple times but with a I like something that was something that i found very like you know what hopefully he brings into 2024 for himself is uh, that average exit velocity jumped his barrel rate jumped uh, his ground ball rate dropped and his fly ball rate jumped so um that those are all good signs especially for uh, a guy who's probably considered more of a power bat for the for the rays um moving on to my number 8 uh which i ha- where i have uh Ian Happ who just has kind of been a a model of consistency like not an excellent bat not an excellent player but just generally pretty good and has always been pretty good um you know when he's been on the field and and he's you know over the past 2 years has been on the field quite a bit uh and in 2023 alone he hit 248 with a 791 OPS, a 112 OPS plus he had negative seven outs above average, but plus two arm value. He had two defensive runs saved. He had 14 stolen bases, 1.8 BSR, and he's heading into his age 29 season. And By the way, I'm, I'm going to mention BSR with all of them. BSR is basically how, how many runs above or below you scored for your team exclusively through base running. It's kind of an estimation that Fangraphs has. Uh, but going back to Ian Happ, he is heading into his age 29 season. As I said, model of consistency. He had a great increase in walk rate and sweet spot rate from 2022 to 2023. Um, his walk rate got back to like 14%, I believe. And uh, also he has value in being on the field. He's played 158 games in each of the last two seasons um, which is something very, very good. And, uh, you know, that, that has value in itself. He's not necessarily going to be a guy where you can be like, Oh, he's going to have a 900 OPS this year, but he's probably going to be on the field and he's probably going to get you over 600 plate appearances. So, um, and, and he's not going to be that negative, that negative on defense. Um, he's not going to be negative on the bases. So just overall, just good player. And I have number eight is my left fielder.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're we're absolutely rolling with this because I also have Ian Happ in my number eight spot. Um, Yeah, you kind of nailed it when you said he's a model of consistency. He's done a lot of the same thing for the last few years. He's been roughly a three-win player every year. Uh, his defense did regress a bit this year, but his base running got better. Um, And overall, there's a lot of things that he did do well last year. He had a 95th percentile walk rate. Uh, He had a 51st percentile strikeout rate, which is much better than he was before i believe he was in the ninth percentile in 2021 so uh he is getting a lot better at that however he did have uh negative seven outs above average uh which was in the sixth percentile and his defense has kind of been weirdly inconsistent in in recent years um he had ninth percentile as above average in 2021 78th percentile in 2022 then sixth percentile like i mentioned in 2023 um the big issue for me with Ian Happ is that he doesn't hit fastballs very well, and he hasn't done it for a while. In twenty twenty two, he had one run value against fastballs, a two forty nine expected batting average, two seventy two average, five thirty seven slugging, uh, which is good, but not as good as a lot of other hitters. But in twenty twenty three, he hit one eighty five against four seam fastballs. He slugged three forty three. His expected numbers really were not that much better, and he didn't whiff on them too much. He whiffed at a twenty two percent rate, uh, but you know, that's the know, that's the pitch that you're going to see the most of. And if you can't hit it uh, to a very good degree, uh, you know, you're going to need to compensate for it with a lot of other uh, good stuff. And he does do that. He hits change-ups very well. He hits cutters very well, curveballs extraordinarily well, uh, like he did last year. But uh, he definitely needs to improve on foreseen fastballs, fastballs uh, because, like I said, that's the pitch you're going to see the most of in, in almost every circumstance. Uh, but I do have Ian Happ as my number eight.
1: Right, right. And he also, as they say in Moneyball, he gets on base. He uh, he may not be you know a 300 hitter, but he you know got a 361 on base percentage last year. Um, mm-hmm. even when he has a low average, he typically is going to have a good on base percentage. Um, and something to comment on, just generally when evaluating these players, defensive metrics are you know very very weird all the time. So you almost Can't look at one single season and be like, "Oh, this is this is what he is." Whereas with offense, with offense, you kind of can do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you see the same trend in someone in defense for a while, you absolutely can. But sometimes, just kind of people just kind of flip flop, like Ian Hap, like I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, kind of. No matter what, you do have to look at like a multi-year sample with with defensive metrics. Um, so so yeah, like with Hap, it might like middle out or just be generally negative, but. Um, you can't be quite sure because guys will go from you know a, a positive nine outs above average to a negative five, and it won't even be like that crazy of a thing that happened. It'll be just like, oh, yeah, that that's just kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but now to my number seven, I'm staying in the NL Central and I'm talking about Lars Newtbar, um, who in 2023 hit 261 with a 784 OPS a 115 OPS plus he had three overall outs above average between the three outfield positions, three overall, overall defensive runs saved, uh, 11 stolen bases, 2.2 BSR. And he is heading into his age 25 season, uh, with Lars Nupar, you're going to get great strikeout and walk numbers. Uh, you know, he struck out less than 20% of the time last year. He walked at a 14, 14. 14.5% walk rate or something like that. Um, He did experience an unfortunate drop in average exit velocity and barrel rate last year. Um, But both of those numbers were still above average, along with his defense base running and strikeout and walk numbers. So I'm pretty overall positive on Lars Newbar, but I'm going to have to see more in order to put him as like uh, a more elite guy. But that's why I have uh, Lars Newbar number seven.
0: Sure. So for my number seven, I went with the guy that you previously mentioned. I did talk about Chaz McCormick, and I have him in my number seven. Um, you mentioned the, uh, the platoons, and that's fair. Uh, I'll talk into what I loved about him, and it's exactly what I didn't love in Ian Happ. Uh, Chaz McCormick had a 22-run value against four-seam fastballs. That means uh, for all the results he got against four-seamers, he produced about 22 runs, which is a lot. In fact, it was tied for the second most that any hitter had against any pitch in 2023. He was tied with his teammate Kyle Tucker against four-seamers for second most, and the most was Matt Olson against four-seamers. He hit 54 home runs last year, 56 or whatever it was. He had 23 run value against four-seamers. Chaz McCormick, uh, in less chances, did more damage against four-seam fastballs than Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna Jr. immediately right behind him. Um, and I mean, that's, you know, those are maybe four of the best hitters that we saw in 2023. Um, so I love that he did that. He also played very good defense last year. He had a pretty good base running metrics um, and overall very good batted ball metrics. You know, 457 expected slugging that'll play when you're uh, in Houston because you'll have a lot of luck going in your favor a 42.2% up pull rate, which was up about 13 points from the previous year if you're a right-handed hitter. Like I said, that's going to play very well in Houston. A 31% fly ball rate. You know, I think his metrics are kind of playing perfectly to the environment that he's being put in. Also, a 38.4% sweet spot rate last year, which is, you know, kind of just something that I appreciate. Up 5% from the previous year. Um, strikeout rate and walk rate, they're around the major league average, I would say. Maybe a little under, but, uh, you know, I, I've certainly seen worse out of guys. But, yeah, I really like Chaz McCormick. He plays good defense. He's perfect for that environment. And uh yeah, he hits fastballs better than almost anyone.
1: Yeah, he uh there's there's a lot of there's a lot of upside in McCormick. Um and yeah, like that defense, you know, we have him Fangraphs has him at left field, but he could very easily get a lot of innings at center field this year, um, which makes him even, you know, a more dynamic player. And, you know, I feel like almost it's sh- he should just have to play center field. Yeah. Um, they. The fangrass has Jake Myers over in center field for the Astros, who I believe is also a good defender. But uh, McCormick is a very high quality defensive center fielder when he is out there. Um so now on to my number six, and my number six is Christian Yelich, who we're making the uh the exception for as he's listed on fangrass as a DH, but I don't know, it just that just seems kind of wrong. Um, but all in all, in 2023, he had a kind of a, a, a solid bounce back year, you know, not a bounce back to his MVP days, but just an overall positive year. Uh, he had 278 with an 818 OPS, a 124 OPS plus. He had four outs above average, but a negative seven arm value, which brought down his defense. Uh, he had a negative three defensive run saved, but 28 stolen bases, a 7.5 BSR and a 66% extra base taken rate. And also... Uh something I found fascinating was um he was never thrown out on the bases outside of his caught stealings, which he only had three of them, but never thrown out on the bases, which is crazy. Uh also Yelich is heading into his age 31 season. Um I think with Yelich, something to be optimistic about is he was a great beneficiary of the rule changes. Uh he had a 72 point batting average increase on pulled ground balls. He also had nine more stolen bases without getting caught stealing uh, one more time that he did in uh, 2022. Um, and also with it's just, I'm very, I'm very uh, high on his walk numbers, very good walk numbers, gets on base in a good rate. And, you know, he's he always has a, a quality exit velocity and quality barrel numbers. Um, so, you know, puts it, puts it on the ground too much, but I think there's a, there's a good case for, A good amount of people on this list that you know have been putting it on the ground too much but um I like his base running I like his ability to get on base and just an overall quality left fielder um who do you have as your number six
0: so my number six I have uh well my biggest hit from my players to watch last year it's Nolan Jones of the Colorado Rockies I still don't really understand why the Cleveland Guardians decided to give up on him after just 28 games uh but You know, I mean, Nolan Jones did do extremely well in the 106 games the Rockies allowed him to play last year. Uh, uh, Granted, he did have a 401 BABIP, uh, which is not sustainable, which is kind of why I have him at number six, despite him having a 931 OPS last year and also very good, you know, some of the best arm value in the league, also very good base running. Uh, You know, his arm value is so good that he had 13th percentile outs above average and still had, a seventy-six percentile fielding run value because he had maybe the best throwing arm out of all outfielders in all of baseball. Not to mention he uh, slashed two ninety-seven, three eighty-nine, five forty-two for a nine thirty-one OPS last year. He had a fifteen point seven percent barrel rate, a five hundred expected slugging, and a twelve point five percent walk rate. And the easy thing to think of when you see this is, oh, well, he's a Rockies player. Yeah, of course, obviously, actually, not the case with Nolan Jones. Uh, he had technically reverse splits last year his OPS on the road was like seven points higher than it was at home a 930 yeah 935 OPS on the road a 928 OPS at home uh and granted the BABIP was a lot higher on the road 434 to 374 but uh both of those are kind of unsustainable he also had a um 945 OPS against right-handed hitters and a 902 OPS against left-handed hitters so He's not even really a platoon guy that happened to have done well against one one side. He did well against both. And lastly, he had 100 plate appearances with runners in scoring position last year, uh, and he slashed 434, 556, 803 for a 1358 slugging and a 238 weighted runs created plus. That is the highest weighted runs created plus with runners in scoring position of the 207 batters that had at least 100 plate appearances in those scenarios so nolan jones may the clutchest hitter in baseball last year uh, i did put him i did put five people above him uh based on his defense alone even though it is very difficult to play defense there in colorado he had a high, high strikeout rate and a very high babbit so i don't think his he's gonna have quite the same offensive output uh unless maybe he strikes out a little less but nonetheless i think the rockies got a really good one here
1: right right for sure um with, uh, yeah, Nolan Jones, very, very promising campaign last year. Um, and yeah, just there's a lot of things where you're very high, you know, lots of upside there and lots of potential and like could definitely outperform a, a lot of the guys on this list. Um, with my number five, I have uh, Stephen Kwan, um, who is just, you know, overall good player uh, coming off a year where he sort of regressed a little bit he hit 268 with a 710 OPS, a flat 100 OPS plus, but you know, nonetheless 9 outs above average, 16 defensive runs saved, 21 stolen bases and 1.5 BSR. Uh, Quan is heading into his age 26 season and what I have to say about Quan is you know, he's not as offensively um adept as if if that's the right word, but he's not as offensively effective as guys like Christian Yelich, Lars Newbar, in in but I think he could you know get back to that 2022 level where he was at a 124 OPS plus I believe and also he is a much better defensive left fielder than all of those guys I just previously mentioned. Um he's the best defensive left fielder in baseball besides Varsho if he is playing that position, uh Dalton Varsho uh if he is playing that position. And I think Quan is sort of due for an offensive bounce back. He had increases in average exit velocity, sweet spot rate, line drive rate, and all expected numbers from 2022 to 2023. However, his actual numbers dropped off. So I think that's going to balance out a little bit. And uh, he's going to be better, better offensively while also providing, you know, gold glove quality defense uh, like he has been for, you know, the two years of his career so far. So that's why I have... Steven Kwan is my number five um, above all those uh, guys who had a better offensive season than him. Um, who do you have for number five?
0: At uh, number five, I have Christian Yelich, the guy that we made the exception for. Um, Christian Yelich just had his best offensive season since 2019 when he finished runner-up to Cody Bellinger in MVP and put up an 1,100 OPS. Um, and he did a lot of things very well. He had a 50% hard hit rate, which is 93rd percentile, 87th percentile walk rate at 12.3 percent which was uh one of his best or i mean among his best he's have been a very good uh obp guy since 2019 and he continued to do that Uh, he had his lowest strikeout rate since 2019 as well and additionally uh, he was a 90 98th percentile base runner in total Uh, he hit the ball hard uh, the only thing he didn't really do very well was hit the ball in the air. You know, he had a 13th percentile sweet spot rate because of his 57.4% ground ball rate. And I think it needs to go down, obviously. um, But I think that potential's still in there. You know, I mean, are we very far removed from the peak of Christian Yelich at this point? Yes. But, you know, I feel like we can't give up on him yet because we've seen the flashes of that potential. We've seen him go on like... Big runs for a couple of weeks at a time during the season, and uh, I think we're capable of seeing even more of that in twenty twenty four.
1: Right, and I think with a lot of players, but especially with Yelich, like you know, people can get skewed of what they think his actual performance is because of what he used to do. So, like, okay, he's you know, uh, his OPS plus is like fifty points worse than his than his prime, but also just objectively looking at it, like this past year. Guy had a four win season, uh, according to fan graphs, you know, stole 28 bases had an 818 18 OPS. That's just an overall quality player. Um, even, even if he's far, far from his MVP days, it's still like, Oh, wow. Like this is actually a, you know, a very good player. And obviously like one of the, maybe the best hitter in the Brewers lineup right now, if I'm, unless I'm forgetting somebody. It's
0: Tamer William Contreras.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, just a very very quality quality player and, and showed that in 2023 um and you know i think i think there's reason to be skeptical because of what he did in, in like 2022 and 2021 but still th- he was an above average player both of those years um so my number four um this is this is you know this might if if these were released on like mlb network this is where people will get in the comments about it but uh, this is where I start to have maybe my hot takes, but still, I don't think he's that much better than the rest of the competition. But my number four is Evan Carter. Uh, he okay. was, your, he was your number 10. Yeah. Um, so just breaking down what Evan Carter did in 2023, uh, in the regular season and playoffs, he had 147 plate appearances, hit three Oh three with a nine eighty eight OPS. Uh, he was six for six on stolen bases. And right now he is heading into his age 21, uh, slash rookie season um i think with carter like i or what i'll say about Quan yelich hap um all these guys i have him ahead of i think they've they're kind of they're they kind of are what they are with carter like he's shown a lot of potential and i think he has a, just a greater a, a great potential of outperforming all of them he could flop obviously he could be you know a, a below average offensive performer this year but i think like he just has more potent, potential to be better than uh what those guys have have proven to be over the past couple of years um i don't think he's going to you know he's not going to have a 1058 ops obviously he's not going to have a 1000 ops um i think he has shown you know, a, a ton of potential. He was great at all three parts of the game last year, uh, but he's due to balance out. Obviously he had a 392 Babbitt between the regular season and, and pl- playoffs last year. Um, But I think, you know, he just should have a, a very good rookie campaign and he just has a higher ceiling than, you know, all the guys that uh, I have ahead of, that I have him ahead of. I think that's part of why I have him there because I could easily see him just being in the mix with those guys, but I could see him, definitely outperforming all of them uh who do you have for number four
0: yeah i love that so that's, that's a fun take but i respect it uh that the number four spot i have brian reynolds from the pittsburgh pirates uh, he's been on this weird sort of decline recently where in 2022 he adopted the curse of me drafting him in my f4 league which meant that his bsr and defensive runs above average had to plummet and unfortunately they haven't fully recovered since and his offense also kind of dipped last year but uh he did get quite unlucky last year if you look at his batted ball metrics. He had two eighty expected batting average, only a two sixty-three actual batting average, a four ninety expected slugging and only a four sixty slugging percentage in general. Um, you know, I still think that Brian Reynolds can be the very good player that he was in twenty twenty-one, where he was a six win player. And I think he can in- go up to like four wins if everything goes correctly for him. Um, you know, he does a lot of stuff very well. He hits the ball hard. He hits it in the air at a good rate. He has a good launch angle. Um, he chases at a very uh, good rate. Um, his strikeout rate could be better. You know, it has been better in the past, and his defense certainly needs to improve. Uh, that's kind of why I didn't put him higher on this list because he uh, turned into one of the worst defenders in the outfield after being one of the best kind of randomly. Um, but I still, you know, feel very optimistic that, you know, that bat will kind of do enough to really put him at that four spot in the next year.
1: Yeah, those uh those expected numbers do look pretty good. Um, just overall good uh good metrics offensively there. Um, my number three uh, is your number six. It is Nolan Jones, uh, who, you know, had a you know has like Carter just showed amazing potential. He's probably not going to repeat it, but just showed how high his ceiling really is. With Nolan Jones, he's coming off a year where he hit 297 with a 931 OPS, 138 OPS plus. Uh, He had negative five overall outs above average, but plus eight arm value. He had 10 overall defensive runs saved, 20 stolen bases, and a 3.0 BSR. Jones is heading into his age 26 season. And, um, you know, I think, as I said, amazing season last year, but that 401 Babip, um, it's not going to sustain. He had a 3.58 average on ground balls, which is not going to sustain, but there are, there are some parts of, of his game that definitely, definitely play very well. Uh, 12.5% walk rate last year, 15.7% barrel rate. Uh, that's going to play well. He has, you know, overall positive defense, very good base running. Um, you know, that, you know, 10 defensive runs saved, uh, on defense, you know, for narrative purposes, I'm going to look at that. Like that's very, very good. Um, so, yeah, it like he just like Carter, very, very high ceiling, showed great potential last year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, both of them uh fall behind, you know the the guys who are kind of the legacy of that position, but still, I think there are just um, there's just too much potential with with carter and and Jones here. um and you know i'm I'm just choosing to go with that. normally, I'm normally, I don't get high off of a guy off one season. But with these two, you know, I think they just showed enough potential and the rest of the competition isn't um, good enough to where I can, where I feel like, yeah, those guys are definitely going to do better. So that's, you know, that's kind of why I say the three through 10 is sort of interchangeable here. Um, yeah. What do you have for number three?
0: At number three, I have your, I believe he was number seven. I have Lars Newtbar. Um, I love Lars Nootbar. I am a Lars Nootbar guy and have been for quite a while. Um, he unfortunately also adopted the curse of me, dra- uh, drafting him in my F4 league. And, uh, instead of defense and base running, he-, he spent a lot of time on and off the injured list last season. I think he went down the IL, like at least two or three times throughout the season was kind of on and off and was battling injuries for most of last season. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, he did just barely enough to qualify for the batting title, uh, had a 14.3% walk rate uh just a 19.7% strikeout rate and a 367 on base percentage, a 118 weight drones created plus. Uh, also a plus base runner and a plus defender out there for the Cardinals in left field. Uh, and, you know, did enough with the, you know, with the bat uh, in terms of his expected numbers and his batted ball metrics. Uh he got slightly unlucky, uh, but not enough to where it was really a major factor. Um uh, I think there is still a lot of potential in Lars Newbar. You know, he's going into his age 26 season. Um, he's good at pretty much everything I, I think he has the potential to be uh, to some degree a 5 tool player, maybe not the greatest at power maybe not the greatest at, at hitting for contact, but he's a very good defender he's a good throwing arm, he's a good base runner, and I mean I think he is enough to be maybe like a 125 OPS plus hitter uh, over the course of, uh, of a few years uh, including 2024, you know I think there's just too much potential there uh and I I've like I said, I've always been a fan of the guy. I think he does everything very well. Um, and I really want to see him play a healthy year.
1: Yeah, for sure. He um I think he just crossed over the qualifying line last year. 503. 503 plate appearances. Yep. One over the, qualif- the qualifying line is uh five oh two. And now on to the final two. Um, this is where it doesn't necessarily get in interchangeable uh for me. Yeah. Like uh although i see like carter and jones could like outperform them like they he might have a they might have a higher ceiling than this guy i just don't think they're going to do it um this guy's been a model consistent consistency offensively i'm talking about brandon nimmo for my number 2 um you know he's consistently been you know on base percentage like over 360 ops plus uh around 130 even which is really really good uh, just last year, he had 274 with an 829 OPS, had a 127 OPS plus one overall out above average uh, between all positions, negative seven defensive runs saved. But a lot of that was in center field, which is a harder position. Uh, he had three stolen bases, negative 2.6 BSR and he is heading into his age 31 season. Uh, Like I said, kind of a model of consistency offensively when he's been on the field. He is one of six players with 350-plus plate appearances and a 360-plus on-base percentage in each of the last three seasons. He joins uh, Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, Freddie Freeman, and Paul Goldschmidt in that. Um, And uh, we're putting Nimmo in left field, even though he's mostly been a center fielder as of late, but he's a projected left fielder because they because the Mets just signed Harrison Bader. Shout out to my second correct free agent pr- prediction Tough. because I randomly selected Bader as a, uh, as a Mets signee, but uh, nonetheless, if Bader is in the lineup, Brandon Nimmo will not be a center fielder, at least he'll be right fielder, left field. So, and fan has him listed as left field. So he's uh he's my number two left fielder because just like looking at his OPS plus and on base percentage numbers, like it's just been, it's just been there. The entire, his, pretty much his entire career, um, which is a, a really, really good thing. And you can't say that for really most of the people on this list. So who do you have as your number two? I also
0: have Brandon Nimmo. Yeah. I mean, this is where it gets interchange or not interchangeable here. Uh, in 2023, he had his highest career slugging percentage in a full season, uh, since 2018. He had his highest, uh, isolated power in a full season, uh, in a full season also since 2018 a uh, 4.3 wins above replacements and uh, he did this despite regressing on base running and defense but the only reason he did that was of course because I drafted him in F4 last season um a 363 on base percentage which is shockingly below his career average uh, a 380 career obp is a ridiculous thing uh to to carry over 8 seasons and 3000 plate appearances there's just so much that Brandon Nimmo does well he hits the ball very hard he had you know, a 91, almost 92 mile per hour average exit velocity last year, a chase rate below 20 percent, a walk rate above 10 percent. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's he's the number two left fielder on this list. You know, I mean, he's he's solid at everything, you know, even with the regression and de- defense and base running, it feels like something he can come back from. Uh, he's going into his age 30 season last next year. But uh, yeah, I mean, he also had his highest launch angle uh, in a full season ever. Um, this is because he dropped his ground ball rate and upped his fly ball rate, uh, for the first time is since 2019. Uh, and he's a guy that, like I mentioned, hits the ball hard. So you want guys like that hitting as many fly balls as possible. And that's what Brandon Nimmo did last year. So he was my number two.
1: Yeah. And if I, I didn't, I don't have the numbers here, but if I'm not mistaken, his home run total did go up.
0: It did. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. It's from did what... did,
0: I believe he hit his most homers in a year. Yeah, he did 24. He hit 20 for the first time.
1: Yeah, twenty yeah 24 home runs, probably in left field, probably going to be comparatively pretty quality uh, defender um, and is usually usually better on the bases, but I think just got... I, it was him or another guy who got like thrown out a lot on the bases. like I, I kind of looked at why these base running metrics were low, and I think Nimmo might have just gotten thrown out a lot, which I just don't think is going to happen for another year. Um, so... Now on to number one, and of the listed left fielders, um, this one just definitely makes the most sense after the year he had last year. I'm talking about Corbin Carroll, uh, who is a projected left fielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. kind of played everywhere um, last year, but he's projected as a left fielder on fan graphs. Uh, he also last... played
0: more games in left than anywhere.
1: Yeah, played more games in left than anywhere. And uh, last year, finished top five in MVP after hitting 285 with an 868 OPS, a 134 OPS plus, four overall outs above average, although negative six arm value, negative three defensive runs saved. But, you know, the, the main kicker, the main part of his game is 54 stolen bases, 15.8 BSR and a 72% extra base taken rate, which is almost double league average. Uh, absolutely absurd. Um, With Corbin Carroll, he's heading into his age 23 season, his second full season. uh, And just, you know, I think the numbers sort of speak for themselves. Uh, He's one of the best athletes in the game. Uh, He's, you know, a real, you know, probably maybe the best base runner in the game, even after just one season. Uh, And, you know, he outperformed his expected stats last year. But naturally, a guy like him is going to outperform his expected statistics because, you because he's so fast and he's able to get some infield hits that most guys in the league can't get. Um, so yeah, I'm just, there's really nothing alarmed about heading in, nothing I'm alarmed about with Corbin Carroll heading into 2024. Um, I don't know if he's going to be a top five MVP again, but that's not going to be surprising if that does happen. So, uh, very excited about what Corbin Carroll is bringing to the table.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, there's no, there's no putting anyone else for the top left fielder in the game going into 2024. I also put Corbin Carroll. Ah, uh, that was the one guy where I didn't even have to look. You know, you see the names of the left fielders, and he's the one that stands out above the rest. I didn't even have to look at any of his stats. I didn't have to look at any of his numbers, his projections for 2024. He's the number one guy, and I think anyone else would put him there too because he is a guy that established himself at a top. 15, top 20, maybe even top 10 player in the game uh, in his first full season at age 22. Drafted out of high school, uh, kind of flew through the minor leagues despite, you know, missing the entire 2020 season. Uh, He has excelled at every level of professional baseball that he's appeared in. His lowest uh, weighted runs created plus in any year at any given level was only a 131 OPS, OPS plus uh, in 2022 as a 21-year-old playing 32 games in Major League Baseball. And, the Diamondbacks gave him a contract extension uh, before the season. It almost looks like they didn't give him enough, right? A six-win player last year, despite negative four defensive runs above average because of that, like you mentioned, 15.8 BSR. Uh, he had one of the best base running seasons of all time, and Foolish Bailey uh, made a, a Baseball bits video about that. Um, You can check that out. Uh, very good defender in for OAA. His, his, weirdly, his defensive numbers are kind of inconsistent. Um. But still, I know I'm just mentioning what Fangraphs thought of him despite the the bad defense according to them. Um best, you know, best base runner in the game, uh, 99th percentile sprint speed, 99th percentile base running value. Uh, and then he hit very well. Um, and uh, you know, the only thing that he could improve on is that he had first percentile arm value. Uh in terms of his throwing arm, wasn't very good with throwing, but you know, you can kind of forgive that in this in this scenario because uh yeah, he's a great hitter, an unbelievable base runner, whatever you want to believe as a fielder. Um And uh, yeah, I mean, he's the number one left fielder.
1: Yeah, and, and with the arm stuff, like with how much range he has, he probably makes up for the plays he can't make with his arm with how, you know, how much range he's able to get and how, you know, that's with, with the speed that he has, he just naturally is going to have so much range along with whatever defensive skill he has. Um Yeah, so um do we want to just quickly uh say you know go through our lists here um number one i have carol you have carol number two uh i have Nimo. you have nimmo Mm -hmm. um my three through ten is nolan jones evan carter stephen kwan uh christian yelich lars new ian hap chas mccormick and randy rosarena um yours is
0: mine yeah so my my three is Lars Newbar four I have Brian Reynolds five I have Christian Yelich six I have Nolan Jones seven I have Chaz McCormick eight I have Ian Happ nine I have uh Randy Rosarena and ten I have Evan Carter
1: yeah um so yeah I think the main discrepancies are um definitely Brian Reynolds and Stephen Kwan uh both are top five in one of our lists and out of the picture in the others list um for me i'll start with brian reynolds i think with me i'm you know we're kind of relying on it on an offensive um bounce back and i i definitely yeah i love expected numbers and uh i think yeah he'll probably improve offensively but just based on what we've seen the last two years i think he's combined for i think 5.1 f4 which was a concern of mine um he's combined for 5.1 f4 over the last uh two seasons and i think he's Below, the you know below the mark with a lot of the guys that I listed instead of him like Quan you know Quan has had more in the last two years, yellish has had more in the last two years. Uh, Newt Bar Hap have both uh had more in the last few years. I think McCormick has had more in the last two years. So, um, that's why I didn't have uh, Brian Reynolds And What uh what had you leaving Stephen Quan off your list? I mean,
0: kind of just anecdotally speaking, you know Stephen Quan plays a. A brand of baseball that hasn't necessarily in a lot of cases in recent memories shown to be sustainable right you know he's a primarily high contact guy uh you know he needed a 323 Babbitt, uh in 2022 to have a 298 batting average and a 126 uh weighted runs created plus he didn't exactly follow that up in 2023 he was a league average hitter and yeah his defense and base running are very good but you know he really needs you know like i said he really counts on that sustainability or on that, you know, high contact to be sustainable. um, And, you know, it would not surprise me if he outperforms uh, where I put him on my list, because like I said, there's so much interchangeability in left field. Uh, but, you know, someone had to go and unfortunately it had to be him. I really do like Stephen Kwan. He was my number one hit in 2022 and maybe the best hit that anyone has ever had on a player to watch in the history of this show. Uh, at least he's up there, Um, you know, and I'm rooting for the guy. I certainly am. But, you know, for me, I just had to, leave someone off and he ended up being that guy
1: right right um yeah it's and like we said before the show with left field three through 10 was very interchangeable and probably like three through 12 was pretty interchangeable as well um like i have nolan jones as my number three and you know randy arrozarena as my number 10 but i think nolan jones is barely going to be better than randy arrozarena i don't think it's I, I think the numbers are like you know the rank numbers are gonna be misrepresentative of where I actually think they are like comparatively. I think all three through ten is very, very close and, and for your list as well. Uh it's the same case. So yeah, um that is left field. Do um yeah, do we want to get into center field?
0: Let's get into center field.
1: Uh do you want to start since I started left?
0: Uh yeah, let's do that. I'll do that. All right. Uh so I mean, I'll start out the uh the top 10 center fielders just with an immediate hot take just coming uh just coming scorching out immediately. Uh my number 10 center fielder, I have Jackson Chorio. Uh he has not played a major league game yet. Uh but I'm still I'm still putting him here because he is uh one of the most unique prospects in all of baseball. Um you know, he's pretty much a guaranteed shot to make the opening day roster for the Brewers because they've already extended him. Um, and I think he's going to be, you know, I think he has a very similar type of play style to Corbin Carroll, who we just mentioned as the number one, uh, left fielder, uh, pretty, pretty clearly, uh, he's going into his age 20 season. Uh, so already very young. He had a 490, uh, slugging percentage throughout 1200 plate appearances in the minors, uh, across three seasons and four different levels, actually more than four different levels. But, um, you know, I, I really believe in this guy, uh, Fangraphs has him listed as a 70 grade raw power and a 70 grade speed as well as a 45 grade hit tool um, and in a 55 uh, grade fielding tool. Uh Baseball America has spoken extremely highly on him uh throughout various articles they've written about him over the years and uh I'm ready, you know, I'm ready to see what he does because he's pretty much getting a full season this year. He doesn't have to worry about uh you know playing for a contract you know, he's just out going out there and, you know, playing his game and trying to get the Brewers to the playoffs. So uh, I am putting Jackson Chorio as my number 10.
1: Yeah, that is that is definitely a hot take for sure. Mm-hmm. Um And uh, yeah, I wasn't really even considering him. Uh, not fair. that I'm going to place him in the top 10 now, but I, I just like with whatever projections I was looking at, he just wasn't lifted. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I was considering him, but definitely a guy like, yeah, like, you know he's been a highly touted prospect since he was 18 um Mm -hmm. he's just you know there's obviously a lot of potential there so placing him top 10 positionally isn't the craziest thing in the world like it's not like you're saying he's he's you know top three already so like and Corbin Carroll is a guy who um you know went from uh playing 30 games in the MLB to being the high most the highest ranked left fielder this year so seeing a turnaround uh like this or or just a a, a skyrocketing through the rankings yeah I mean this I could be I could be,
0: I could be underrating him by putting him at 10.
1: Yeah for sure for sure um with my number 10 I'm staying in the NL Central and I'm talking about one of the most interesting players out there mm-hmm. Jack Sawinski uh Ooh. he uh He's very, very interesting to me uh, because, you know, just, just a breakdown of what he did last year. He had 224 with a 793 OPS, 115 OPS plus. He had three outs above average in center field, negative 10 defensive runs saved in center field. So that's why we're talking about the weird inconsistencies with defensive metrics. Um, Swinski also had 13 stolen bases and 5.0 BSR. Uh, Swinski is also very young. He's heading into his age 25 season with the Pirates Uh, and why I say he's one of the more interesting guys in baseball is he has great as well as awful qualities. Uh, he has a a 94th percentile barrel rate, a 96th percentile chase rate and a 94th percentile walk rate. However, his strikeout rate is fifth percentile and his whiff rate is 22nd percentile. Um, so with all those great qualities and awful qualities, I think it nets out to an overall positive. I think that 115 OPS plus is pretty representative of what he can bring to the table offensively. And just that, you know, whatever that middle ground of outs above average and defensive runs saved is what he can bring uh, on defense. And he's just an overall positive on the bases as well. So I think just an overall positive overall good player out there. And uh, that's why I'm giving him the top 10 recognition. Um, who is your number nine?
0: Yeah. Uh, my number nine is a guy that's coming off of a pretty good rookie year uh, in L.A. I'm going with James Outman. Um, you know, he, he did outperform his expected numbers by quite a lot, but he still, I think, is very good at a lot of things. He had an 86 percentile walk rate as a rookie, which is not a very common thing to see. It's normal to see guys kind of come up to the show and kind of swing at everything and try to make the most of every pitch and every opportunity. And Outman was a lot more patient with it. Uh, in his rookie year he did strike out quite a lot and with quite a lot as well but uh weirdly enough he had a 73rd percentile chase rate um which is like kind of weird but anyway uh 89th percentile sweet spot rate at 38.2 percent um very good out defense both on baseball uh, both on baseball savant and on fan graphs he actually had uh, nine outs above average this year and six defensive runs above average a 5.7 bsr uh, on fan graphs and also a uh you know an 89th or 93rd percentile base runner you know uh the offense is certainly the biggest question mark for him uh but he did put up a 118 weighted runs created plus last year and i believe that you know uh he can cut that strikeout rate down from 31.9 percent and you know kind of have it balance a little more out you know i think that's a lot of the reason why his expected numbers were so bad was because of that walk rate or uh, that strikeout rate um but, you know, I think, you know, he's already got some of the the more difficult things down with the defense and base running. Not that anything's more difficult, but uh, in terms of statistics, it's hard to get those both up uh, with offense. And I think the offense has the most room for improvement, but he's already got that stuff down.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I
0: think the defense and BSR is more unpredictable, but he has those on his side right now. The offense, it's easy to see where he can make improvements, and I think he has the potential to make those next year.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, Altman showed uh, a great amount of potential. And he was kind of a meme at the beginning of the year because we were like, oh, how, you know, he didn't outperform Soto, but he kind of came close. (laughs) Um, He he was like sort of in the same ballpark of productivity. Um, But uh, my number nine is uh, a guy I think a lot of people would be negative on, and I would definitely understand why they would be negative on him. And I can't imagine he's on your list, but uh, it's Cedric Mullins. I can't escape him. I just can't escape Cedric Mullins. Uh, But yeah, he's coming off a 2023 and a 2022 where he kind of underperformed. This past year, he had 233 with a 721 OPS, a 101 OPS plus, he had six outs above average, but a negative two arm value. He had seven defensive runs saved, 19 stolen bases, a 3.3 BSR. And uh, with Mullins, he is heading into his age 29 season. Um, I think the reason why I place him top 10 is because uh, I'm very optimistic about what his numbers were before he got injured last year uh if you're unaware he got a he had a groin injury he injured his groin on a swing and pretty much after that his performance uh you know even when he came back from the injured list his performance just got a lot worse especially on the base running side i think he only had like four stolen bases after his injury whereas he was on a very very good pace um prior to that um so i'm i'm you know i'm optimistic about that at the time of that injury he had a 356 on base percentage and 835 ops and he was on pace for 24 home runs and 39 stolen bases uh that injury slowed him down and i think he could be better in 2024 if that groin is is working properly again i think he's you know potential to be on you know on track to be a a top 10 center fielder in the game again because that's not what he showed after the injury uh I, i'm d- definitely aware of that but i think if he gets back to what he was before that injury, he is definitely a top ten center fielder. Um, who do you have as a uh, number eight?
0: My number eight, I have uh, a guy that I might be still latching onto some hope for, and it's Byron Buxton. You know, admittedly, this pick might be a little more me going off of what he did before rather than what I think he's going to do going forward. But I just don't want to give up on him. I mean, he still hit the ball very well in the few uh, in the three hundred plate appearances he had last year. Uh, a 90 percentile barrel rate, uh 91.5 miles per hour in exit velocity, a 45% hard hit rate, also a 10.1% walk rate, which was the highest of his career. It's actually up five points from uh 2021, which was kind of his peak season. Um, you know, Byron Buxton has been an awesome player when he's been on the field since 2020. Unfortunately, he hasn't really been on the field. Um, that's been the issue. He's never had more than uh, how many played appearances in a season? Like three, probably like 350-ish. 382, it's the most he's had in a season since 2020, uh, you know, in this era where he's been very good. But, and last year was, you know, definitely a much worse year offensively than we've seen from him in the past. Um, But I just, you know, I don't want to give up on him yet. You know, I still feel like that potential is in there somewhere. He's only going into uh, his age 30 season. um, And I just, you know, I just, I feel like it's still somewhere deep down inside there that we could see the real Byron bucks in a pro full season.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at his 2021 numbers. It was like, it would have been one of the greatest seasons of all time. If he like yep. switched over 160 games, Yeah, uh, he he played 61 games, had a 1,005 OPS. Uh, I think he was, uh, he was
0: your number one hit for that season.
1: Yeah. It was my number one hit for that season, despite playing 61 games. Uh, he had, uh nine stolen bases pre uh rule changes and he also um he also had excuse me um seven outs above average in 61 games so he could have been he could have had like 15 outs above average you know a 1000 ops and you know like 20 stolen bases uh in 2021 if you stretch that over a full sample so Obviously there's a lot with his potential kind of a weird year last year where he didn't play the field at all. Uh, he was exclusively a DH. So I, I don't really know what his status as a center fielder is, but I am at, but you know, the twins or the fan obviously has him as the projected center fielder. Uh, my number eight is a guy I've been talking a lot of mess about, but uh, still, you know, he's top 10, but I think some people would have him ranked higher than I have him ranked, but uh, I'm talking about Cody, Cody Bellinger. Uh, who had, you know, his his very good bounce back year or what appeared to be a very good bounce back year last year, hit 307 with an 881 OPS, a 133 OPS plus. He had four outs above average in center field, but negative three defensive run saved in center field. Uh, he had 20 stolen bases, 2.7 BSR, and Bellinger is heading into his age 28 season. Uh, with Bellinger, why I don't have him ranked higher is I'm not confident in the carryover from last year. Uh, He had a 39 point difference in batting average and expected batting average, a 91 point difference in slugging and expected slugging. And he had a 309 average on non hard hit ground balls, which, uh, you know, the the league average on non hard hit ground balls is 178. And, you know, I, you know, maybe he he definitely made some improvements in his game, made a lot more contact last year, but guys don't make careers off of uh, guys who have Bellinger's speed. Don't make careers off of uh, hitting uh, non-hard hit ground balls for the hole. That's just that's just not what happens. That's not how you sustain success. Um, so I think those numbers are going to go down, uh, which is why I have him number eight. But overall, still, I expect you know slightly above average offense with good defense and good base running, uh, which is why I have him ranked above uh, guys like Sawinski and uh, and Mullins. So uh, yeah, overall, I think he'll be good, but not not great. Um, Mm -hmm. where he was probably you you could consider last year a great year. Um, where do you have, uh, or what do you have, uh, for your number seven?
0: Yeah, these looks, these lists already look a lot different than the, a lot more, there's a lot more discrepancy than the left field ones. So this is interesting. But, uh, I have Jung Hu Lee, uh, at my number seven, a recent signee for the San Francisco Giants. And it is a hot take. You know, he hasn't played in major, he's the second guy on my list that hasn't played a single game in Major League Baseball yet. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about and uh, how he'll do in a Giants uniform. You know, he's only twenty-five, so you know, there's there's reason to believe that his best years could still be ahead of him uh in Major League Baseball. And uh, you know, he had a, a he maxed out at, at a 175 weighted runs created plus in the KBO. Last year his was his, his down year at only one thirty-nine. Um, and he has incredible bat-to-ball skills. Uh, over the last uh five seasons his highest strikeout rate is 7.6 percent and his lowest walk rate is 7.1 percent over the last four years his lowest walk rate is 9.6 percent uh so he's been a very good hitter uh he's been very good with power he's been very good with average um you know he hit 23 home runs which is a lot for the kbo at just age 23 um and i know that you know his home run ball might not play as well in san francisco but you know i think he'll i think he'll find a way to make do Um, and I, I do have him at number seven. I know it might be another hot take for me, but, uh, you know, I, I'm fine with it.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it is always weird to evaluate guys who have never played in the MLB. Um, whether that be, you know, Jackson Corio or Jung Hu Lee, but, you know, you know, you know, the, the giants gave him $113 million for a reason. And they obviously see some potential there. Um, my number seven is going to be James Outman. Uh, your number nine pick. Uh, you know, I think just his overall defensive game and base running ability last year. Like, I'm very, very optimistic about that. Like, that's something that's, you know, very hard to do. Uh, but he looks like a tremendous athlete. Uh, overall last year he had 248 with a 790 OPS. He had a 112 OPS plus nine outs above average, one def- one defensive run saved. Uh, 16 stolen bases and a 5.7 bsr i think he was taking a lot of extra bases on uh on you know people's hits and whatnot but yeah i i'm very optimistic about what he can bring to the table defensively and on the bases as well as you know being above average hitter so i think he he ranks you know that might surprise people i'm not sure you know i don't think it surprises you i think you see that potential as well but um he's just overall like a a whole package guy hmm.
0: so we're going on to uh my number six now um this is where i put cody ballinger um you had him at number eight and i know you've uh shown a lot of concern with him and i get it i understand why um i think he had better numbers than a lot of the guys that i put uh, above him on this list you know kind of for that reason um when you have a 38 percent sweet spot rate over 424 batted balls you're going to outperform your expected numbers that's just what it is um and you know you have a little bit more control over your sweet spot rate than you do over your batting average expected batting average slug x slug whatever uh and if cody bellinger can keep himself in like a 35 to 38 percent range in sweet spot percentage i think he'll outperform whatever expected numbers he has again in his next uniform uh he did a lot of things very well last year Outside of, of hitting, he had uh, five outs above average. He had, uh, I know that his Van defense wasn't as good, but they both agreed on his base running. Uh, he had 2.7 BSR. He had uh, 70, 75th percentile sprint speed, 87th percentile base running run value last year. Um, and he also cut his strikeout rate by 12%. He went from 27.3% to 15.6% uh, between 2022 to 23. So, you know, do I think he'll post that kind of season again? Probably not, but I do still think he's a top six center fielder. I put him all of the all of, above all of those guys uh, that I listed previously, and all the guys that you have also uh, previously listed. Spoiler alert.
1: Right, I I find the I find the take of the sweet spot rate signifying that he will how performs expect numbers cuz i feel like if you're hitting it really? in the sweet spot so i
0: don't i don't think it'll outperform them to that degree again but i think you're going to have very good numbers with a 38% sweet spot rate i think is what i'm trying to say yeah i'm not trying to say that it'll have a 40% 40 point difference in bat and expected batting average again but like i don't know it could be 20 10 15
1: points but i think that's implying that uh that like when you hit it in the sweet spot in the sweet spot zone that it, it doesn't matter like the expected num- the expected numbers when you hit it in the in the sweet spot zone are higher because mm-hmm. guys get better resul- results when they're hitting it in the sweet spot zone which is why i think the expected numbers would be up when you hit it in the sweet spot zone so i don't know i i think i think the reason i think for if he i
0: think if he continues to hit at that high of a sweet spot rate i'm not gonna be too alarmed at a lesser difference between his expected numbers and his regular numbers yeah obviously like i said i'm not saying he's gonna have a uh, you know 40 points over in batting average 90 points over in slugging whenever it was like that is an extreme and like i mentioned you know he had better numbers than some of the guys that i'm putting uh above him on this list but uh, i don't think you know i think if he continues to hit in the sweet spot that much then he'll continue to get very good results and maybe better than whatever his expected numbers are going to be
1: right i I just think like it's it's not an implication that mm-hmm. that he that he has higher expected has higher actual numbers than his expected numbers mm-hmm. because he hits it in the sweet spot rate so much. I think the reason why he had higher numbers than his expected numbers was because of his luck on ground balls not necessarily yeah. because of how much he was hitting it in the sweet spot zone but uh, No, I get no, it.
0: I understand what you're trying to say.
1: Nonetheless, um we're not really that far off on him. I have him eight, you have him six. Yeah. Um, my number six, speaking of expected numbers, I think <laughs> he's an exception when it comes to expected numbers. I don't even know if you're gonna have this guy on your list at all. Um, but your my number six is TJ Friedel. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow, I do not have him on my list. I'll say that right now. Um, so yeah, he he you know, it is hypocritical of me for sure to criticize Cody Bellinger would
0: be like TJ Friedel's the guy.
1: But looking at if you just watch the video, if you just watch the games, but no, if you <laughs> actually if you just watch the video of TJ Fr- Friedel's lucky hits, he seems to have some sort of strategy going with it. He seems to hit hit it to where, you know, soft spots in the infield it, defense where they ain't. He also bunts a lot, which like Cody Bellinger was not necessarily doing. So there seems to be some strategy in his soft contact wherever it may be i think there's just more there's more strategy in what friedel is doing than what bellinger was doing and then along with that friedel has very good defense and very good base running um he had a so overall last year he hit 279 with an 819 ops a 118 ops plus i'm not sure that's going to sustain itself but he had a four four outs above average in center field plus two arm value uh zero defensive runs saved which is you know not the best but 27 stolen bases and a 9.1 BSR and 66% extra base taken rate so he's a real threat on the bases uh he's heading into his age 28 season and like i said he has a very unique hitting style where i don't i don't necessarily look at the expected numbers with Friedel because the fact the fact that he can hit over 300 uh on ground balls is more of a result of you know, strategically placing it in a good spot. You know, with the bunts or with the softly hit ground balls, he seems to have just more strategy. It's not ne- necessarily just happening to get through holes. Do I expect him to get a re- repeat on a one eighteen OPS plus? No, I don't. But I think he'll still be an average to above average hitter, maybe a guy with like a one oh five to one ten OPS plus, while being a very positive contributor on the bases as well as defensively. So. That's why I have him ranked above uh, the good uh, Cody Bellinger and James Outman and uh, and Cedric Mullins and Jack Sawinski, uh, as well as uh, Jackson Corio, who I don't have on my list here. But, um, yeah, like I think he's shown ability to consistently outperform those expected numbers, which is why I don't necessarily look at them as much.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so now going into our top five, this is kind of where the list became a little more straightforward for me. Um, but at number five, I have Michael Harris the second, uh, who struggled for a large portion of last season and looked like he was kinda going through a sophomore slump, but he ended strong at an eight ninety one OPS from June fourteenth on and found his way to a four win season, uh with, you know, very good uh defense and base running and a little bit of like I said, a little bit of a down year on offense, but um, you know, I think I can kind of be forgiven. Uh, because of that. Uh, he is one of the best base runners and one of the best defenders in all of baseball. There's nothing that he struggles with when it comes to any of that. He has 86 percentile sprint speed. He has 92nd percentile outs above average, 93rd percentile arm value, 89th percentile arm strength. And then going back to fan graphs, 7.7 defensive runs above average, 3.9 BSR. So, I mean, uh, all of it comes down to hitting. And his hitting is a little weird because he has one of the lowest walk rates in the league. He had a 4.6% walk rate in 2023, also a 4.8% walk rate in 2022. He also chases a lot, despite not striking out a lot uh, or whiffing a lot. But um, he had a 304 expected batting average. You know, you look at him on fan graphs and think, okay, 334 BABIP, uh, 366 BABIP from, uh, from June 14th on. But, you know when you have that good of an expected batting average that can be a little bit forgiven, uh, 490 expected slugging, uh, and also an an average exit velocity of 91 hard hit rate of 48.5% barrel rate of 10%. Um, there's a lot of things that he does extraordinarily well. So uh, I put Michael Harris, the second at my number five spot.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, very, yeah, he's, he's definitely, definitely had some interesting time in the major leagues for sure. Um, This is where things get a little bit squirrely for me, maybe a little bit controversial, but Mm. um, I have Mike Trout number five. um, And this isn't me to say that he's going to be worse than the guys ahead of him on a game per game basis. But as far as total 2024 production, um, obviously, he hasn't shown, you know, just trailing back to why I have him ranked below some of these guys is... Uh, he, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't had a full season since 2019. You could even argue 2018. So I'm not sure if I can rely on him playing, you know, more than a hundred games. So that's why I'm going to have some of these guys ranked ahead of him. Um, and you know, on a game per game basis, I think he's better than guys like, uh, probably Luis Robert and Michael Harris, but I just trust them to have a full season more than I do Mike Trout, um, just over on the overall outlook with Mike Trout, You know, last year hit 263, but an 857 OPS, 131 OPS plus. He had four outs above average, one defensive run saved, uh, two stolen bases and a 1.8 BSR. He's also heading into his age 32 season. Um, I think if he's he's healthy, if I can rely on him to play, you know, 130 games, I think he's definitely top three in this list for me. But it's just like, if I'm projecting for 2024, I have to play health in into a factor for sure um so that's why i have him that's why i have him number five but i think on a game per game basis he's still one of the best players in the game i think he'll i think those offensive numbers are going to jump back up for him i think he'll have an ops plus maybe around 150 but i don't think just overall he's going to play that much and if he does then you know i hope he does if he does then definitely shame on me for this pick but i have him number five
0: uh number four um, this is where I put Luis Robert Jr., um, which is, uh, you know, I mean, he, I think had his best, the best season of his career, uh, in, in the last, in the last year, he played 145 games. It was his first time playing more than a hundred games in a season. And he put up a 128 weighted runs created plus with very good defense and good base running on fan graphs. Uh, his base running, uh, run value is actually a lot different on baseball savant. Um, which was interesting, but he was actually a fantastic defender uh, according to outs above average. He had 12 uh, outs above average and a 95th percentile fielding run value. So, uh, you know, a top defender and also just one of the most fun guys to watch hit in all of baseball, right? I mean, you know, he he hits the ball very, uh, interestingly enough, his, his exit velocity is not very good, but um, he had a 15% barrel rate, a 515 expected slugging, and again, just like Cody Bellinger, a 38% sweet spot rate um and you know uh you know he did very uh well last year um an 857 ops and like i mentioned excellent defense um certainly a couple things to improve on most notably contact and uh you know he's he's a guy that you know i mean he's he's in the big three and as far as chase rate whiff rate and strikeout rate he's 15th percentile or worse in all three of them uh, not to mention the five percent walk rate isn't very good you know, uh there's a lot of things to improve on. You know, a three fifteen OBP is not uh the most ideal outcome, you know. Uh, but he does have a couple of other good things going for him, which is why I didn't put him in a, you know, it's kind of the thing that kept him out of the top three, but also the things that kept him in the top five. Um, you know, I really like the uh the pluses that Luis Robert has. He's kind of like a player of extremes, like you mentioned earlier, uh, with uh Jack Sawinski. Um, but yeah, I did put Luis Robert at the four. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, I also have Luis Robert at number four. Um, yeah, last year for reference, hit 268 with an 857 OPS, 128 OPS plus 12 outs above average, six defensive runs saved, 20 stolen bases, and a 2.0 BSR. Um, he's heading into his age 26 season. Last year was kind of like his first really full healthy season, it seemed like. Um, and you know, we saw the potential and you know. <laughs> Showed uh showed that he's a, a very good player. I think he had a five win season on on FanGraphs, um. So hopefully that health maintains for him. Um, and I think he's as you mentioned with the on base percentage. I think uh he is a good on base percentage away from being an elite player. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a very good player right now, but he's like a good on base percentage away from being an elite player. Uh, but yeah, that you know I think he's a he's gonna be projected uh in a solid manner he's just very he's just overall very good one of the best defenders out there uh i think he improved his fly ball rate as well so just good signs pointing there so yeah he's my number four where where do you you know who do you have number three
0: uh number three this is where i put julio rodriguez um who is going into his age 23 season and has already uh you know been a dominant force in the league for two years now already which weirdly enough it just feels like more you know it feels like he's already so established uh in his role with the mariners, but it's only been two years. Um last season he took some steps back and some steps forward. Um he, you know, he draw he dipped a little bit in offensive production, his weighted runs created plus went down by uh, 20 points, but he also had about 150 more plate appearances because he played uh well first of all 714 plate appearances in 155 games is pretty impressive. Not that he really controls it, but uh, or has that much control of it but you know he did see a lot more opportunities uh he did a lot better with defense he did a lot better with base running uh by his fan graphs metrics in 2023 compared to 22. uh and com- in terms of his batted ball metrics it's it's great i mean it's it's exactly what you'd expect it to be out of julio rodriguez he hits the ball hard he hits it in the air um he you know he does everything extraordinarily well he's excellent at defense and base running um, he does strike out quite a bit. Um, but it's, you know, I think it's pretty forgivable because everything else he just completely excels in. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he outperforms some of the other people on this list in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four that I have above him. Um, but yeah, I mean you have to you know, he's a he's a lock for top three. Uh and he's a lock for, you know, top twenty to fifteen player in the game, maybe even top ten, like I mentioned with Corbin Carroll. You know, he is the complete package and it feels like he's only getting better
1: yeah for sure for sure um yeah Julio Rodriguez is an elite definitely an elite uh center fielder um my number three this is it probably might confuse some people but uh I'm going with Michael Harris the second um a lot of it is sort of based on what he did from June on and sort of underlying numbers just going in the right direction uh And I'll explain sort of why I have him above Luis Robert. Um, With Michael Harris, he's coming off a year in which he had a 293 average, 808 OPS, 114 OPS plus, seven outs above average, plus three arm value, two defensive runs saved, 20 stolen bases, a 3.9 BSR, and 72% extra base taken rate. Uh, He's also heading into his age 23 season. And this is why I have him ranked higher than I think a lot of people would have him ranked at this position is despite a drop in offensive production last year almost all of his underlying numbers got better or stayed the same in 2023 his barrel rate was within 0.1 percent of 2022 he had an increase in average exit velocity hard hit rate sweet spot rate line drive rate pull rate and a decrease in strikeout rate chase rate whiff rate and ground ball rate and also an increase in all expected numbers. Uh so I'm I'm pretty optimistic about what he's going to bring to the table in 2024. Along with that in his final 100 games he hit 335 with a 9.12 OPS and he also had a higher OPS and FWAR than Luis Robert in that particular span and even excluding that and just going based off of the entire 2023 season uh Michael Harris had a higher expected woba than Luis Robert, while I believe also being around a similar defender and a better base runner, um, so yeah, I'm pretty optimistic about Michael Harris. I think that first two months of the year from him last year were pretty much an anomaly and pretty much set back his entire uh, or set back his numbers for the entire 2023 season. And I think just overall next year we're going to see that you know that rookie of the year Michael Harris that we saw in uh in 2022 um what do you have for uh your number two pick uh
0: number two is mike trout you have him at number five uh, and he had his worst he had his worst season probably in his career out excluding 2011 in 2023 when you consider what he did on the field he only had a 134 weighted runs created plus uh with that being said he actually had his best defensive season on Fangraphs and on baseball savant since 2018. Uh, people have been, you know, people have been kind of questioning his defense for a while. Uh, and then as far as I'm concerned, he's still going, uh, you know, defensively at age, uh, you know, at age 32, going into 33 next year. Um, He had 96 percentile sprint speed, 84th percentile outs above average with four outs above average last year. And, you know, I feel like people worry about, you know, a his health, but also the fact that he's not getting any younger and he's going to start declining with age. And I feel like if he hasn't shown that clear decline in defense and base running yet. There's no reason to believe we're going to see it in offense yet. I know that we did kind of see it last year, but, uh, you know, it could be, you know, I don't see any reason to believe he can't get back up to where he was beforehand uh, going forward. um, He got unlucky in terms of expected batting average. He had a 12-point difference. Expected slugging, he had a 33-point difference. Still hit the ball very hard, still hit it in the air at a tremendous rate. Had 95th percentile hard hit rate and barrel rate. Uh, chased at a great rate, nineteen point seven percent, which led to an eighty eight percent walk rate. Uh his strikeouts have certainly gotten uh to be concerning uh compared to where they were before. But uh I still think that, you know, prime Mark Trout is somewhere in there. You know, maybe he won't have his twenty nineteen again, maybe he won't have his MVP seasons again, but I still think top five player in the league of Mike Trout is in there. Uh and yeah, we haven't seen it over a full season since twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. maybe even twenty eighteen. But uh, a lot of signs are still pointing to the fact that he's still there.
1: Um, Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I still think he is, you know, when he's on the field, like mm-hmm. a top 10 hitter in the game, he's one of the best hitters in baseball for sure. Uh, and like, even just, if you look at longer samples, like uh, even just including his 2022 season, uh past two years a 941 OPS 157 OPS plus like he is he is elite at the plate while being pretty much either neutral or positive at both base running and defense so yeah on a game per game basis I think I would have him above Julio Rodriguez and I would have him number two as well it's just yeah I'm you know yeah it's a it's a matter we do we
0: are we are considering projected health very differently here like I mentioned I had Byron Buxton on my list so yeah uh, and then, no, that's an even more extreme example with struggles staying on the field compared to Mike Trout.
1: Exactly. Unfortunately. unfortunately Ex- yeah,
0: exactly. But yeah. I mean, game per game basis, I still put Mike Trout number two. Yeah, I think, you know, and like you mentioned, you would as well.
1: Right. Um. So now on to my actual number two, which is Julio Rodriguez. Uh, he is, you know, he shows he's great in all three phases of the game, uh, just coming off a year in which he hit 275 with an 818 OPS, 128 OPS plus, uh 12 outs above average, negative 2 arm value but 12 outs above average nonetheless, negative 5 defensive runs saved, which is weird. Um but 37 stolen bases, a 7.0 BSR and 57% extra base taken rate and he's heading into his age 23 season. Um I mean, yeah, he's he's a a real great player in all aspects of the game. Uh, he had 90th percentile, uh, or higher rankings in batting run value, base running run value and fielding run value. And I think with better strikeout and walk numbers, he could be a top five player in the game, given all of his tools. Um, he's not quite there yet, but he is still just an amazing, amazing player. Um, and yeah, there's a reason why he gets so much hype. He's, he's one of the best players out there. Um, so now on to uh, on to number one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be no surprises here. My number one center fielder in baseball going into 2024 is Aaron Judge. Uh, he had another tremendous year last year, albeit one where he unfortunately uh, didn't stay on the field for 60 for ish games. And it really sucks uh, for the general baseball world that he wasn't on the field because he still found a way to put up uh, 37 home runs and just 458 plate appearances and 5.3 F war. Uh, he had like an MVP caliber season In just 106 games last year And not only that, but that 174 Weighted runs created plus that he had Kind of a miracle that it was that low He had the unluckiest difference uh, In baseball, in slugging Minus X slugging, a 99 point Difference, he only slugged 613 It should have been 712 Or you know, they was 712 in the expected numbers He had the unluckiest difference In Woba minus X Woba His Woba was 420 his expected Woba was 461, a 41-point difference. He's actually, like, you know, the baseball world actually got a lighter side of Aaron Judge with his 1019 OPS because he actually was very unlucky in many metrics. So, um, I mean, he's still, you know, he had in many ways had just as good of a season uh, as his 2022, where he famously hit 62 home runs. And there's no reason to believe that he can't do it again in twenty twenty three in 2024, excuse me.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Aaron Judge is also uh, my number one consensus number one. And, you know, when we get to top 100 players of uh, of 2023 overall, he could potentially be number one on that as well. Um, just recapping his 2023 hitting, he had 267 with a 1019 OPS, 175 OPS plus. He had one out above average in center field, negative one defense front saved in center field, three stolen bases, a 1.0 BSR. And uh, now he is heading into his age 32 season. Uh, yeah, he's the best hitter in baseball while being a positive contributor on, uh, def- on defense and the bases. He was 100th percentile in six of the 10 Baseball Savant dashboard hitting stats, which is yep. absolutely absurd. Uh, and out of 2,225 seasons in the StatCast era with 200 plus batted balls, Judge's average exit velocity, hard hit rate, and expected slugging from 2023 were all the highest out of over 2,000. Uh, that's how great he was last year. I mean, his average exit velocity was 97.6 miles per hour, which yeah. is just, it's crazy to do. That's that's crazy to yeah. do in a, it's, in a It week. is
0: such a disservice that he had that injury with the Dodger Stadium right field wall. It wasn't even like, you know, it was some lingering thing that came back. It was a freak play where he hurt his toe
1: yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent um the 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 stuff with the expected stats is weird I think part of it has to do with um just I think the I think with hitter with hitters of judges caliber the outfield just plays like very deep in general so some Mm -hmm. of the balls that he hits to the warning track that would be doubles for a lot of players are just caught because they're positioned so well um to prevent you know you know Extra base hits from happening uh with Aaron Judge. So I think that just naturally happens. But still, like, you know, he's he's the best hitter in the game. I think 2023 sort of established that, you know, 20 or 2022 established that, and then 2023 made it, it so that it was sort of unquestionable. Um so yeah, uh he's he's the best center fielder in the game for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, the way that Aaron Judge gets so much out of himself is that he hits fly balls at an outrageous rate he has his uh his fly ball rate was 10.4 percent above his ground ball rate which is absurd in 2023 he also had more fly balls than ground balls in 2022 he had the same not he had uh almost the same number of ground balls and fly balls in 2017 which was his first you know breakout season where he had 52 home runs as a as a rookie um yeah i mean there's there's no sugarcoating it he's he's the best center fielder uh, and the best hitter in the game right now
1: yeah um for sure for sure so to go over um the lists here uh, my one through 10 is judge jrod michael harris ii Luis robert mike trout tj friedel uh james outman cody bellinger cedric mullins and jack swinski uh what is your one through 10
0: Ah, uh, Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Julio Rodriguez, Luis Robert Jr., Michael Harris II, Cody Bellinger, Jung Hoo Lee, Byron Buxton, James Altman, Jackson Torio.
1: Yeah, so I guess our biggest discre- discrepancies is I did not have like Jung Hoo Lee on the list. Um, I think part of it for me is just like not knowing what he's gonna bring yeah. to the table. Whereas like, uh, I can't,
0: I can't, I can't fault you for not having most of the guys. Like, I can't fault you for not having Jung Hoo Lee. Can't fault you for not having Byron Buxton and also Jackson Chorio.
1: Yeah, and I can't really fault you for not having T.J. friedel because he's such a, he's such a weird guy. Yeah, I Fiedel. mean,
0: you know, the he the, he goes kind of deep into the A.R.R. lore of uh of his expected numbers and, and actual numbers.
1: Exactly. Exactly. The
0: the the only guy that like we had like a you know like a Western standoff for for using him for how about that.
1: Yes, it was an unspoken agreement not to <laughs> use him. Yeah, um, and uh, and then with Cedric Mullins and Jack Sawinski, they're numbered nine and ten on my list for a reason. Like they're not, mm-hmm. you know, so, I don't expect them to be, you know, crazy, crazy center fielders out there. Um, so I
0: did actually, I did actually look at Jack Sawinski. The reason I left him off was because of his lefty righty splits. Uh, he had a 609 OPS against lefties last year.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, and yeah, with Cedric Mullins, I'm just relying on a bounce back to his pre injury numbers, which, yeah, and that's fine. Easily, that can easily go in the wrong direction for sure. Um, mm-hmm. cause it's, it's projected health also, which is a very, very weird thing. Um, okay. Uh, so yeah, that is it for the first of, uh, or the first and second of 10 positional breakdowns. Um, you know, the, this is a randomizer list no no bias into why we're going in order here it's just uh center field and left field were the first ones that uh appeared on the randomizer list so that's what we're going yeah with. um next week i think is starting, starting pitchers. Pitcher. i believe starting pitcher and i have to remember the uh starting pitcher and right fielder so we're gonna knock all the outfielders nice out.
0: all the outfield
1: very quick very very quick um okay so now on to the uh final part of the episode the um hall of fame yeah the hall of fame bubble case breakdown for carlos beltran um this was most uh most of the work done for this was by daniel curran so i think i'll i think i'll have you uh sort of lead the discussion here sure so carlos
0: beltran is in his second year on the Hall of Fame ballot. He debuted last year at 46.5% of the vote. Uh, and currently he is at 66.7% of the vote uh, after there have been 123 public ballots revealed. um, my One of my Hall of Fame hot takes uh, was that Carlos Beltran was going to have the largest year-to-year gain of any returning candidate on the ballot. As of right now, he has the uh, largest uh, net uh, gain slash loss. He is, uh, you know, plus 11 in terms of the net gained uh, this year, and no one else is above plus eight, which is Gary Sheffield. So as of right now, that take looks pretty good, but it certainly could change with the private ballots and the post-election uh, public ballots. So in uh, as far as his on-the-surface stats, he had 70.1 baseball reference war and 67.8 fan war as a center fielder. And he had 44.4 peak war, which is 0.3 below the average Hall of Fame center fielder. So he's right in with the average Hall of Fame center fielders in terms of peak WAR and also in terms of career baseball reference WAR. Uh for his slash line total total for his career he slashed 279 350 486 for an 837 OPS, a 119 OPS+ plus, and over 11,000 career plate appearances, uh which is a very large number for a career. Uh, Chris, you want to take it from here.
1: Yeah, um so just looking at the basic numbers <clears throat> Uh, a pretty impressive resume, although he didn't necessarily hit, like, the the very, very celebrated numbers. He had 2,725 hits, uh, 565 uh, doubles, which is very, very impressive, 435 home runs, uh, 1,084 walks, and 312 career stolen bases. So, you know, got on base uh, effectively with walks, uh, lots of extra base hits with the home runs and doubles, and uh, you know over 2,700 hits, and much of his uh, resume revolves around the postseason. 307 average and 1021 OPS uh, as a career in the playoffs, with 256 plate appearances in the playoffs, like basically half a season's worth of production in the playoffs. And he had a 1021 OPS in them. Uh, and in the 2004 playoffs, he had a 1557 OPS in 56 plate appearances. And then the 2012 playoffs, he had an 1154 OPS and 50 plate appearances. So those, those specific runs are going to get, you know, the recognition that, that, uh, that he got, um, or are going to get him the recognition that could push him to a hall of fame plaque. And he has also won. He also won rookie of the year, although it was only once he only won rookie of the year once, um, unfortunately, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> just kidding. Um, but uh, he was a nine-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glover, and two-time Silver Slugger. Um, so those, those are kind of where he uh, appears on the surface, uh, just looking at the basic numbers, the things that everybody knows. But now we'll kind of go a little bit uh, deeper into um where he fully compares compared to people who had similar careers as he did.
0: Yeah, so I put Carlos Beltran through the Gianta test as I like to call it, because you were the one that kind of started doing this thing where we compare guys with similar war given the number of plate appearances and the similar OPS plus given the number of plate appearances. So Carlos Beltran is one of uh, a few players with 67 to 73 baseball reference wins above replacement in between 10,000 and 12,000 plate appearances. So that's similar body of work, similar overall production. The other guys to do it are Frankie Frisch, who is a Hall of Famer, Tony Gwynn, who was a first ballot Hall of Famer, Tim Raines, who was a Hall of Famer, Pudge Rodriguez, who was a first ballot Hall of Famer, Ernie Banks, who was a first ballot Hall of Famer, Uh, Greg Nettles, who received 8.3% of the vote in 1994. That was how he topped out. Dwight Evans, who received 10.4% of the vote in 1998. And Miguel Cabrera, who will be a Hall of Famer, a first ballot Hall of Famer in uh, the year 2029. And in terms of players with a 115 to 120 OPS plus in 10,000 to 12,000 plate appearances is Roberto Alomar, who is a hall of famer, Luis Gonzalez, who was dropped in his first ballot, Daryl Evans, who is dropped in his first ballot and Andre Dawson, who is a hall of famer. Uh, Keep that name in mind for later.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think also what could be noted with the players with the 115 to 120 OPS plus, uh in ten thousand to twelve thousand plate appearances. So Gonzalez and Evans were first ballot drops, but Beltron had um Beltron had what neither of those two had, which were both uh positive defensive wins above replacement and yes. positive uh BSR. base running runs. Um hey,
0: positive base running runs doesn't even put it lightly. It doesn't yes. even put it the way that it truly is meant to be put.
1: Yeah, Beltron had fifty-five career base running runs, which are which are really really a lot. Yeah,
0: also a sixty-seven, I believe BSR for his career.
1: Yeah, it's that's quite a bit. So he was really good, whether he was stealing bases or taking taking extra bases on hits. Um, he was a, a an extremely good base runner. So he compares more to the Roberto Almars and Andre Dawson's uh, on that particular mm. list. Um, so now we go into the case. Uh, case against and the case for, with guys we kind of think should be um Hall of Famers, we typically do the case for last because there's just more to go off of. And guys we think shouldn't be Hall of Famers, we typically go with the case for first because we think there's more with the case against. So with Beltron, we we sort of rank him as you know a Hall of Fame qu- quality player. So we're starting with the case against. Uh, the first one is he only finished top 10 in MVP twice and only top eight one time.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, didn't get that, that big milestone uh, very many times. I didn't really get a great chance at it, except for once. Uh, one thing I'd also like to note before we completely dive into this, you know, we have our, our opinions on Carlos Beltran. We still make an effort to give you the best case against and the best case for same goes for someone that we might be more against. You know, we try to, we try to paint the picture as best we can with what people might say against them or for them regardless of what we think um I you know I tried to do my best with Carlos Beltran here and Chris you added some things that I I think are very good
1: right yeah yeah and yeah we we were very anti like the uh Omar Vizquel on the field like Hall of Famer but we did provide a case for him that wasn't just completely memes um yeah which which yeah um yeah so
0: anyway yeah yeah, going forward, Chris mentioned the lack of MVP support. He also only finished top ten in the league in OPS and OPS plus twice. Uh so you know, only only twice could you say maybe he was a top ten hitter in the league if that's the if that's what you prefer to go off of.
1: Right. And with Beltron, um, as we mentioned with the on the surface stats, he didn't hit the major milestones that would make him a shoe-in, didn't get to three thousand hits, didn't get to five hundred home runs. Like with Beltre, like He's his case is much more clear because he did hit the three thousand hit threshold. And obviously, these things are arbitrary, but it does he was matter. pretty darn when close to
0: five hundred home runs.
1: Yeah, we're we're obviously talking the, um. You know, we're talking about the Hall of Fame where that stuff does get valued a little bit more than than usual. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um. Additionally, he only had three seasons with an OPS plus of one forty or higher. And uh most people that only do that three times are not Hall of Famers. Um, you know, his offense wasn't uh absolutely otherworldly that much of his career.
1: Right, right. And um, you know, going along with the legacy part and what he's remembered as, because that is a large part of why of why people vote the way they vote. Um, his most remembered playoff moment, despite, you know, having a 10 21 career OPS in the playoffs, is uh that that curveball that he took right down the middle to end the Mets season in 2006, which, you know, was a promising season for them. Uh, that's kind of his most remembered moment. So I think that takes away a little bit from a lot of what the voters see him as.
0: Yeah. And perhaps the greatest uh, flaw of his career in terms of this Hall of Fame case was the alleged role that he played in the 2017 Astros sign stealing scandal. There's been a thousand different reports on who the perpetrator was of that. Some people say it was Carlos Beltran. Some people say Brian McCann. Some people say Alex Cora. Some people say AJ Hinch. Some people say Jeff Lunau. We don't really know. Uh, But Carlos Beltran was a veteran in that clubhouse. You know, if there was a player that had the, uh, you know, the pedigree to step up and put an end to it, it was probably him. Uh, He chose to let it go and continue However, you know, I think there were also people that, you know, were above him that also could have put a stop to it that didn't. So people can believe whatever they want or feel however they feel about Carlos Beltran's involvement in that scandal. Uh, it is something that to some people takes away from his Hall-, his Hall of Fame case.
1: Yeah, and and I think everybody, it's sort of like steroids in that every, everybody has their own opinion on it. I think mm-hmm. some people believe that because of his involvement, all the – all his accomplishments, you know, get thrown out the window and, you know, he shouldn't be considered at all. Some people might say that it just takes away a little bit and that's why he's, and you know, is already sort of a bubble case. So maybe that's why he's not being considered like that. And then for other people, I think they just don't really consider it that much because it didn't really help his career and they're only focusing on what he did on the field. And, you know, that cheating scandal didn't really impact his career at all. Um, or, or at least numbers wise um yeah so so now on to the case for carlos beltron because that's all we have for the case against for the case for carlos beltron um you know 70 career uh baseball reference war and 44.4 career peak uh, uh peak baseball reference war are pretty much right in line with the average hall of fame center fielder um you know it's it's just that's kind of where guys are at and uh and yeah, like it's it's very comparative to a lot of the guys that are currently in the Hall of Fame right now.
0: Yeah, and going into his count statistics, Carlos Beltran is just one of four players in Major League history with 400 home runs, 300 stolen bases, and 1,000 walks. The other three players to have those are Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, and Willie Mays, who are arguably three players to have been the greatest of all time at their respective positions, and Carlos Beltran is right there with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, along with that, you know, looking more sabermetrically, he's one of three players in baseball history with 250 plus batting runs, 50 plus base running runs, and 30 plus fielding runs. Uh, the other two are Willie Mays and Ricky Henderson, who are obviously all time greats.
0: Yeah. He is also one of six players to have 300 offensive runs above average and 60 base running and 60 BSR, which is uh, the fan graphs metrics for total offensive production and total base running production and the other six the other five players to have those two metrics for their careers are hall of famer ricky henderson hall of famer tim reigns hall of famer billy hamilton from the dead ball era not the uh the former center fielder for the reds uh hall of famer joe morgan and future hall of famer mike trout
1: yes uh and something that i definitely look at when i'm considering Carlos Beltran in the in the Hall of Fame spectrum is sort of that peak, because a lot of people might say, you know, Beltran was an accumulator. And in some ways he was. Um, but also from 2001 to 2008, uh, Carlos Beltran only trailed Albert Pujols, uh, Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez in fan Graphs' above replacement. So Pujols was the only clean player ahead of him from one to 8 in F-4. And he also led baseball in uh, base running runs, uh, you know, BSR, he had 10.2 more BSR than Ichiro and 600 less plate appearances. So even though Ichiro was probably getting more stolen bases, Beltran was just generally the better base runner because he was just more efficient with running around the bases in that time frame. But the, I think the biggest takeaway from that is he only trailed Albert Pujols, Barry Bonds, and A-Rod F-War from 01 to 08, in eight-year sample.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reason I put that in there is, you know, if you go to any baseball fan and you ask them who is the best base runner from 2001 to 2008, almost everyone's going to say Ichiro. And that's fair because, you know, Ichiro was, that was kind of his prime, right? Oh, one hit was his rookie year. Uh, Beltron was actually more efficient in less time, though. So, and by quite a wide margin. So that's why I decided to put that in there. Uh, Carlos Beltron had five seasons with 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases, and one D War, which is, Uh, baseball reference defensive war and he had five of such seasons that is the most of such seasons by any player in baseball history no one else has had more than five seasons or five seasons at least with 20 home runs 20 stolen bases and one d
1: war um yeah for sure uh something uh, so not to throw us off the sheet but something that's not on the sheet i'm just gonna add from uh, my own thing just going off base a very very basic Uh, numbers here and i'm trying to just highlight who is not a hall of famer on this list um but okay so carlos beltran is one of 12 players with 400 plus career home runs and 550 plus career doubles the only other non-hall of famers of those 12 are barry bonds albert pujols adrian beltray and rafael palmero all those guys either have have not been a hall of fame eligible yet or have been associated with peds so 400 home runs and 500 doubles or 550 doubles are a very is a very exclusive club
0: yeah yeah i mean and he you know he did both of those pretty easily uh he is one of seven players to have four plus seasons with a 120 ops plus or higher 20 stolen bases and one D War. The and I love I put this list because I like one of my favorite lists either. The old the other six to do it are Huey Jennings, George Davis, Eddie Collins, Hannes Wagner, Frankie Frisch, and Ricky Henderson. Uh so in essence, he is the uh third, the second player post-integration to have seven such seasons behind only Ricky Henderson. When you're talking about Huey Jennings and George Davis on the same list as you, and you played in the 90s and early 2000s you're doing something right
1: you're definitely doing something right <laughs> for sure um he is also one of eight players with six plus seasons with a 500 slugging and 20 plus stolen bases uh he is joined by uh ed delahanty hannes wagner Nap ty cobb oscar charleston uh willie mays and barry bonds um and if you add one plus defensive war to that he and Hannes Wagner are the only players in baseball history to have four plus of such seasons with a 500 slugging 20 plus stolen bases and one plus D war.
0: Yeah. And the only non hall of famer on that list is Barry Bonds, who is a hall of fame talent, who, uh, you know, is not a hall of famer due to his PD ties, uh, going forward, he and fellow ballot mate, Bobby Abreu in 2004, were the last players to put up a season with a 130 OPS+, plus, 40 stolen bases, and 90 walks. So Ronald Acuna Jr. did not do that last year. Um, No one has done it since 2004 when Beltran and Fabio Abreu did it.
1: And to go in uh, on longer terms, he is one of 12 players to have 11-plus seasons with 30-plus doubles and 15-plus home runs. He is joined by Stan Musial, David Ortiz, Albert Pujols, Lou Gehrig, Miguel Cabrera, Carlos Delgado, Craig Biggio, Adrian Beltre, Manny Ramirez, Todd Helton, and Bobby Abreu.
0: Yeah, so the last four on that are all, five five out of those 12 players currently on the ballot.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Between Beltran, uh, Adrian Beltre, Manny Ramirez, Todd Helton, and Bobby Abreu. And the last thing that I'll say for... Uh, you know, the the case for Carlos Beltran, if you're a person that chooses to hold the 2017 season against him, at the time he was 40 years old and he had an 81 OPS plus. So you can't even really say that he benefited as a hitter uh, with the sign stealing scandal. The only way that he benefited from it was that he, you know, got a World Series out of it. Um, you can choose to add that to his legacy if you want, but You know, his overall offensive production would have been pretty similar, regardless of if he had the sign-stealing scandal access or not. And uh, the last thing that I want to get into is that the most comparable player to Carlos Beltran in terms of his entire career, not just among Hall of Famers, but among really anyone, is Andre Dawson, who we mentioned earlier that is a Hall of Famer. Similar, uh, you know, body of work. Uh, Dawson played uh, about 50 more games. Beltran had... Uh, About, I don't know, like 400 more plate appearances, I think. If my math is mathing, thirty three hundred more plate appearances.
1: Very similar amount.
0: Yeah, it's a very similar amount. You know, same body of work. Anyway, Andre Dawson had about 50 more hits. He had three more home runs. He had four more RBIs. He had two more stolen bases. They had the same batting average. Beltron was up on him by uh, 27 points in OBP uh by four points in slugging, by 31 points in OPS, and they were tied in OPS Plus. Uh Beltron had one more All-Star. Uh Andre Dawson did have an MVP over Beltron. He did have more gold gloves and more silver slugger. Uh but Beltron did have the advantage in B-War. Uh very very slightly. I believe it was 2.0 to 1.6 in their career. Uh and he did dominate down base running uh in terms of efficiency. But you know, if you want to compare Carlos Beltran to a Hall of Famer or to just another baseball player by his career, Andre Dawson's the best guy to go off of.
1: Yeah, and looking at the uh, stolen, like the stolen base comparison, like Dawson mm-hmm. had two more, but also you think about the era Dawson played in. Stolen bases yep. were at the highest rate they've really ever been since the dead ball era, um, and also Beltran got the modern hot. era. Yeah, yeah, even yeah, the modern era like. And Beltron got caught like more than 50 less times on the bases, you know, with the stolen bases and whatnot. So, you know, Beltron was far better compared to the rest of the league at base running than Andre Dawson was. And that's why, um, according to baseball reference base running runs, it's fifty-five to fourteen in, in favor of Carlos Beltron. Yeah. Um
0: and part of the reason I wanted to uh include this little comparison here is to shine a light on uh, the BBWAA something we don't do very often on this show, but Carlos Beltran is probably going to get in the Hall of Fame, and he's probably going to make it in at worst like his fourth or fifth year on the ballot. You know, he's he's he debuted over halfway to seventy five percent last year. He's probably going to get like fifty five to sixty percent this year if he keeps on this pace, and that's that's in a bad year for gains, right? So next year, you know, hopefully there's going to be like at least you know three or four, maybe five guys. Leaving the ballot, uh, and Beltran's gonna have a much easier time uh gaining some more votes. It took Andre Dawson nine years to get into the Hall of Fame via the BBWAA, so you know what, they have gotten better at this. Not, there's still a long ways to go, but there, but we can appreciate some progress.
1: Yeah, there we go. There we go. Love that. Um, I I, I appreciate the optimism. And yeah, there it is, it is optimist. it is cool to see like, you know, guys like Maurer and I guess even Utley like get recognition when uh-huh. you know, maybe even just like I don't know, 15 years ago it just wouldn't be the same. Um yeah,
0: it felt like Joe Maurer could have been a one and done in a different year.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh so yeah, that shall or maybe not shall. a
0: one and done, but like definitely not a first ballot guy. Which you know, it's looking increasingly likely that Joe Mauer might get in this year.
1: Right, right. Um, so yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to as we keep track of uh, the Hall of Fame. It's only coming up. Yeah, it's coming up, not much more than a couple weeks. Um, January twenty third. Yes. Yeah, so seventeen days as of this recording. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that uh, that shall do it for this edition of Above Replacement Radio. We hope you enjoyed this extra long episode. Uh, Very long episode. Where we did positional ranks and uh, as well as uh, a bubble case breakdown. That's how, that's how the next couple episodes are going to be. We're going to do the positional ranks uh, for four more episodes, as well as a bubble case for the next two episodes. So be ready, be on the lookout for some extra ARR content. Um, we hope you enjoy this one if you're listening on apple Podcasts or spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens go to the youtube channel it is called above replacement radio there you can also find the playlist of all the bubble case breakdowns that we've ever done um, all 10 of them outside of this beltron one so be sure to check that out also follow our social media follow me on twitter at chris underscore follow daniel on both twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show. On Instagram at above Replace radio for all the show needs. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking uh, positional ranks and a bubble case breakdown once again, as well as hopefully some free agent signings. We Matt, will see you then. This conversation, this conversation is over is over.